an irish musical genius the inventor of the musical glasses this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org an irish musical genius the inventor of the musical glasses by d j o'donohue readers of goldsmith will remember the passage in the ninth chapter of the vicar of wakefield where the ladies from london with all their accomplishments threw the country-bred ladies entirely into the shade they would talk says goldsmith of nothing but high life and high-lived company with other fashionable topics such as pictures taste shakespeare and the musical glasses in this last phrase which is antithetical or nothing goldsmith expressed some contempt for an invention which for several years previously had excited much comment and a good deal of amusement among the higher classes of english and irish society the vicar of wakefield was written in seventeen sixty one when richard pockridge the inventor of the instrument referred to had been dead two years goldsmith had certainly heard a good deal of this remarkable man a countryman of his own and had not improbably listened to his performances upon the glasses that he expressed at least a shade of contempt for this invention in his now proverbial phrase is clear he had not an excessive admiration of shakespeare as we know but he delicately suggests the immense distance which separates the mind of the author of hamlet and that to which we owe the musical glasses that in short this last was one of the lowest conceivable examples of the exercise of ingenuity but we may employ in pockridge's defence the words or their sense which john o'keefe the admirable dramatist is said to have used them when he heard that scott in st ronan's well had put into the mouth of one of his characters what he considered the contemptuous phrase from shakespeare to o'keefe from the top to the bottom of the ladder remarked o'keefe well he might have placed me a few rungs up pockridge was by no means a contemptible person he was one of the many notable irishmen of his day his ingenuity was amazing and was employed in a hundred different schemes and inventions some of which though scouted as chimerical by his rather unprogressive age were eminently worthy of consideration and were well within the region of the practical the invention of the musical glasses has proved to be his most famous idea it is the only one of his many suggestions which his contemporaries did not laugh out of court but it is not by any means his highest claim to remembrance the writers of his day recognized and appreciated the concourse of sweet sounds produced by pockridge from ordinary drinking glasses and lest modern readers should feel inclined to smile at the praise bestowed upon this ingenious contrivance it need only be mentioned that some of the greatest minds of the time were enraptured with what might now be regarded as a mere toy there are various contemporary references to the musical glasses which have more than common interest the letters especially of the notabilities of the period often allude to them in one of his letters to mason 
gray the poet says under date december eight seventeen sixty one here is mr de laval and a charming set of glasses that sing like nightingales and we have concerts every other night horace walpole in one of his letters also mentions them quote, the operas flourish more than in any latter years the composer is gluck a german he is to have a benefit at which he is to play a set of drinking glasses which he modulates with water i think i have heard you speak of having seen some such thing End quote. and finally in an advertisement in the st james's chronicle of december third seventeen sixty one there is the following paragraph quote, at mr sheridan's lecture on elocution miss lloyd succeeds miss ford in performing on the musical glasses for the amusement of genteel company benjamin franklin made a small improvement upon pockridge's invention and called it by the italian name of armonica which has been englished by the addition of the letter h this is not of course the small toy generally known by that name brockhill newberg another contemporary refers to it as the instrument quote, with which the celebrated miss davies not long since so agreeably entertained the town end quote, and adds quote, it is no more than an improvement upon mr pockridge's glasses and it is to this gentleman's original invention we are indebted for one of the most pleasing instruments within the compass of sound end quote. gluck the eminent composer gave public performances in england and abroad upon pockridge's glasses and beethoven mozart and other great musicians wrote music for the improved form devised by franklin the latter in a letter to beccaria in seventeen sixty two refers to pockridge thus quote, you have doubtless heard the sweet tone that is drawn from a drinking-glass by passing a wet finger round its brim one mr puckeridge a gentleman from ireland was the first who thought of playing tunes formed of such tones he collected a number of glasses of different sizes fixed them near each other on a table and tuned them by putting into them water more or less as each note required the tones were brought out by passing his fingers round the brim franklin goes on to inform beccaria that dr delaval f r s had attempted an improvement upon pockridge's invention by greater care in choosing his glasses and he proceeds to explain his own amended form the armonica of which he gives a drawing his idea was simply to fix upon a stand a succession of globes of varying sizes which were also to be played upon by wet fingers it is curious that though pockridge's musical glasses became the talk of the country so little was known of himself personally that one would think he had never done anything else but perform upon his delightful instrument yet he was a man of real parts with a passion for projects and new plans for the benefit of ireland and humanity as we shall show some of his ideas though ridiculed by his countrymen are not at all despicable in the light of present knowledge he was indeed far in advance of his age but only two biographical dictionaries of the hundreds published 
notice his name and both of the notices necessarily meagre are by the present writer footnote a couple of dozen lines in the poets of ireland by d j o'donohue and the fuller notice by the same in the dictionary of national biography and footnote perhaps a fuller sketch of pockridge and of some of his ideas will not be unwelcome to irishmen who are always willing to hear of anything tending to the greater credit of the country but to conclude the reference to the musical glasses john carteret pilkington a worthless son of doubtful parents and who rooked oliver goldsmith gives in his memoirs a book so scarce as not to be in any of the dublin libraries an interesting account of pockridge who had engaged him to sing at his performances through ireland and england we learn that the inventor was when pilkington knew him quote, a tall middle-aged gentleman with a bag wig and a sword on end quote, and that he was able to earn six pounds a day then a very large sum by his entertainments the memoirs also describe him as a perfect master of music who had performed most of handel's finest compositions and his skill in music is thus testified to quote, he pulled from his sleeve sixteen large pins and from his pocket a small hammer with this he drove the pins into the deal table all ranged one above the other and some almost in as far as the head he then took from his side pocket two pieces of brass wire and demanded what tune i would have i told him the black joke then lay your ears to the table says he hear and admire i did so and to my infinite amazement he played it with all its variations so as to sound almost like a dulcimer encouraged by the applause i gave to this uncommon instrument he took a parcel of drinking glasses and tuned them by putting different quantities of water in each upon these he played a number of the newest tunes in the most elegant taste giving me delight and satisfaction another contemporary a poet and a sometime friend of pockridge named brockhill newberg already mentioned who hailed from county cavan and was a gentleman of wealth and position wrote many poems among them one upon his countrymen whom he calls captain with the intention of ridiculing his projects this poem called the projector was to be the avant courier of an heroic poem in twenty-four books to be published by subscription and to be entitled the pockriad which would tell exhaustively the inspiring life and adventures of the restless inventor of new plans for the improvement of everybody and everything this threatened epic however did not appear but the notes to the projector which the author says was his first poetical attempt and was written somewhere about seventeen forty five tell us of some of pockridge's schemes newberg exempts the musical glasses from ridicule alluding to them as follows quote, mr pockridge's skill in music has been made known by his no less surprising than agreeable performance on drinking glasses an invention entirely his own and i cannot but wish that drinking glasses 
instead of being as too frequently the instruments of sottishness and debauchery were oftener applied to so innocent and entertaining a purpose he adds an antidote concerning the power of music which will serve a future commentator upon congreve's famous line music hath charms to soothe the savage breast it should be premised that pockridge's inventions often led him into debt Quote, it has been already mentioned that mr pockridge by an invention entirely his own has converted drinking glasses into one of the most pleasing instruments that happy chance or invention has yet discovered to judge of the surprising effects of mr pockridge's performance on this instrument let the reader be acquainted with the following story which may be depended upon as fact mr pockridge in his brewery near island bridge happening to be one day seized by bailiffs thus addressed them gentlemen i am your prisoner but before i do myself the honour to attend you give me leave as an humble performer in music to entertain you with a tune sir exclaimed one of the bailiffs we came here to execute our warrant not to hear tunes gentlemen says the captain i submit to your authority but in the interim while you are only taking a dram here jack calling to his servant bring a bottle of the rosa solis i lately distilled i say gentlemen before you take a dram i shall dispatch my tune in the meanwhile he flourishes a prelude on the glasses and afterwards displays his skill through all the pleasing turns and variations of the black joke the monsters charmed with the magic of his sounds for some time stand and gaze at length recovering their trance they thus accost the captain sir upon your parole of honour to keep the secret we will give you your liberty tis well playing upon the glasses is not more common if it were i believe our trade would find little employment newburgh informs us that pockridge would have obtained the post of chapel-master at armagh cathedral which he had applied for but that archbishop bolter died before the appointment could be made out he also speaks with praise of pockridge's musical compositions and says that the musician had fully intended to take out his degree of doctor of music at trinity college dublin and to give a public performance of the pieces he had composed for the examination but was prevented by other matters one more reference to the musical glasses before dealing with pockridge's other projects may be permitted the rev dr thomas campbell l l d in his very interesting and very patriotic book published towards the close of the last century and called a philosophical survey of the south of ireland gives a short list of eminent natives of ireland and especially praises pockridge whom he calls pokeridge for his cleverness his name he says quote, ought not to be lost to the lovers of harmony as he has enriched the art by his invention of the musical glasses now improved into the harmonica an instrument if not of the greatest force yet certainly of the sweetest tones in the compass of harmony End quote. 
those who have heard the musical glasses skillfully played will readily admit their extraordinary sweetness of tone such as have not listened to them can hardly imagine their fairy music the present writer has often heard them played in london to delighted crowds not one person in which probably had the least idea that an irishman had procured them the pleasure but as already stated pockridge was emphatically not a man of one idea his brain teemed with projects his private fortune left him by his father which was considerable nearly four thousand pounds a year according to pilkington only one thousand pounds if we are to believe newburgh was lavishly spent in carrying out his schemes he practically reduced himself to poverty by the projects upon which he embarked like latourdi of moliere he was often obliged while dazzling his friends with talk of millions of money to borrow a mere trifle the leading facts of his life may be told in a few words he was born in the county of monaghan in or about sixteen ninety although obviously of english descent on the paternal side his family had long been settled in the north at Derrylusk, county monaghan where they held extensive property the family which originally came from surrey became extinct about eighteen twenty pockridge's father raised and commanded an independent company during the williamite wars fought through the late happy revolution and was dangerously wounded at the siege of athlone in seventeen fifteen richard pockridge his son who had settled in dublin established a brewery and distillery at island bridge but failed to make it pay it is alluded to by newburgh in the lines in brewers grains you gold can find to all such treasure i am blind when later in life he competed for the royal dublin society's premium for the best barrel of ale and failed to obtain it his contemporaries suggested that he consoled himself by philosophically and courageously drinking his own brew one of his pet projects was to reclaim the bogs of ireland to drain them thoroughly and cultivate the land and to plant vineyards on such parts as seemed suitable he strongly advocated the culture of the vine in ireland and was laughed at for his pains yet an italian visitor not long ago told the press that some parts of ireland were eminently suitable for vine culture pockridge wrote pamphlets in support of his theories and tried to interest parliament and the public in them without success he spent a large sum of money in raising geese on several thousand acres of barren mountainous land in the heart of wicklow and declared that if properly encouraged he could supply the whole of the markets of ireland great britain and france newburgh dismisses his project of reclaiming the bogs in these lines you think peru lies in a bog i not see there but heath and fog let sons of ease enjoy the shade the heaven their indolence has made thy cares ne'er droop or public good thy hopes thy fears thy schemes still brood methinks thy labours to beguile the barren plains of allen smile where shook the trembling bog behold the verdant lawns new scenes unfold 
or where the wandering shepherd strayed expands the gay enamelled mead these spongy fens now firm produce the grain or grapes enlivening juice End quote. there can be no doubt that pockridge had some extravagant beliefs for he was a bit of an astrologer and talked of building an observatory on one of the wicklow hills for astrological purposes to these several ideas of his newberg devotes the following lines from humbler sounds that soothe our ears you seek the music of the spheres when far from ken of human sight you seek some mountain's airy height wrapped in the clouds you there survey a boundless tract of land and sea or with a levelled tube from far descry a bog in every star or else to human cares descending you read those fates you still are mending his numerous flocks the bard next sees not flocks of sheep but flocks of geese as geese by cackling saved a state footnote the cackling of the roman geese which alarmed the citizens when the capital was attacked and footnote so grazing geese may mend thy fate see the vast mountains and the rocks now covered o'er with cackling flocks nor less in number than those bands that once o'erspread the grecian sands footnote alluding to xerxes invasion of greece with three million of geese as recorded by herodotus and footnote he had excellent musical ideas however and saw long before any one else the potentialities of the drum he planned an orchestra of drums twenty in number varying in size and tone from the smallest trebles to the bass tones which were to be placed in a circle and to be played by one person who was to stand in the centre and strike the drums as required newberg mentions the project in the lines in thunder next you strike mine ear when from the drum's tumultuous sound you deal your martial thumps around in softer strains my ears delight nor choose a drum but when i fight after spending both money and time upon the invention he turned to another project this time a humanitarian one he proposed to build unsinkable ships of metal for the maritime powers and to supply each man of war with five hundred tin boats which he contended would float under any or all circumstances and would prove invaluable in cases of shipwreck or collision newberg however was one of the unconvinced he says of pockridge my friend who dreads the boisterous main inglorious seeks the rural plain he was equally sceptical as to the sanity of another of pockridge's plans which was to provide every one with a pair of wings for flying our inventor firmly held that the day would come and soon if he obtained the necessary capital when men and women would never dream of walking when as newberg says it might be as common for men to call for their wings as now they call for their boots and when pleasure began to grow dull in the east could order their wings and be off to the west 
newberg's reference to this at the time amazing suggestion is contained in the lines you wing your daring flight and range the azure fields of light my dastard soul of humbler birth grovels contented here on earth pockridge's unfortunate marriage in seventeen forty five footnote i have recovered the record of his marriage on twenty third april seventeen forty five with margaret widow of francis white esq and footnote with a widow whom he had been given to understand possessed much money but who proved apart from a small jointure of two hundred pounds a year to be heavily in debt was naturally made much fun of by the considerate wits of his day the couplet from flights sublime in liquid air descending you address the fair is that which opens newberg's allusion to the event which proved anything but happy for pockridge his wife eventually ran away with theophilus cibber the theatrical celebrity but the boat which carried them to scotland was shipwrecked and the elopers were lost with everybody else on board this was in seventeen fifty eight just a year before pockridge's own tragic death in seventeen forty five he had endeavoured to get into the irish parliament as member for monaghan but had failed he contested dublin in seventeen forty nine but the political papers and humorous ballads addressed by him to the electors notwithstanding again failed that he had strong opinions upon financial matters seems clear from newberg's lines quote, hear him in senate's next dispense the nerves and force of eloquence or godlike raise the uplifted thunder gainst pensioned knaves who nations plunder pockridge believed fully in prophecy and in all kinds of charms and was induced to put himself forward as a candidate for parliamentary honors by the following quote, facts which says newberg were not more frequently than solemnly related by mr pockridge himself he tells us sitting one morning in an apartment in his brewery near island bridge the doors of his house at that time being bolted and double locked he observed a very old woman talking to his servant the contents of which conversation were as follows the old woman inquires whether captain pockridge lived there upon being answered in the affirmative she replies i am sorry to see a gentleman that once lived so well obliged to take up with so poor an habitation the house being at that time extremely ruinous and not inhabited for some years before but old as i am added the hag i shall live to see the day when mr pockridge shall enjoy the estate of his ancestors be returned as his father was before him knight of the shire and possess the first honours of his country having said so much she suddenly disappeared the doors of the house still continuing double locked and bolted some little time after mr pockridge in a house he frequented happens to meet with a man born deaf and dumb the seer for such he appears to have been fixes his eyes for some time upon mr pockridge with a more than ordinary attention then with a piece of chalk 
delineates upon the wainscot the outlines of a magnificent fabric proceeding he draws a coach with six horses and a numerous equipage every now and then looking upon mr pockridge then pointing to the draught as it were thereby appropriating these marks of grandeur to the person he had in his eye but the project of pockridge which excited most comment was his plan for the transfusion of blood he declared that he could by connecting a sick person with a healthy one by a pipe or tube so revive the former in improving his blood that death would be almost unknown hence the lines in the projector pockridge shall live to see old death resign his pestilential breath whereat the wags made merry and it is alleged that many of the rectors vicars and incumbents of the country became seriously alarmed about the burial fees which made so large a part of their income and joined with the heirs apparent and others who had reversions and remainders in petitioning parliament against the impious plan to mollify them as the story goes pockridge agreed to accept a government measure enabling them to realize after the relative or other person upon whom they had a claim should have reached the age of nine hundred ninety nine years when also burial fees would be recoverable from methuselahs this sop however was not too well received by cerberus further discussion of our inventor's projects seems unnecessary among them was one for turning the archbishop of tuam's palace at mount eccles near dublin into a cake-house and for that purpose treated with his grace to whom he made several presents of young pigeons he wanted to make an irish vauxhall of mount eccles but the scheme never came to fruition he did not hesitate to express his belief that quote, if he lived a few years he did not doubt to see every scheme prediction and prophecy of his brought to bear and fulfilled newburg informs us that he was quote, in conversation a pleasant jocular and agreeable companion and but seldom discovered any marks of an unsound mind there is no question that pockridge had his eccentricities he was admittedly an old beau in dress and endeavoured when well on in age to pass as a young man just to add one more to the many proofs that there is nothing new under the sun not even in toilette recipes newburgh's explanation of pockridge's unwrinkled appearance may be quoted it was due to the latter's recipe which is taken from one of the notes to the projector take common brown paper steep it in vinegar then apply it to the forehead the skin about the eyes or any other wrinkled part let it lie on some time every half hour renewing the application the wrinkles not only disappear but the cheeks glow with a vermeil that excels the power of paint mr pockridge has practised his experiment for some years past with great success evidently pockridge was a man of unlimited resource he had among his many other peculiarities a liking for religious disquisition about seventeen forty five 
when one thomas cynic a new apostle a native of reading in berkshire and born in seventeen twenty one came to dublin to convert the inhabitants to his own religious views pockridge was one of his early followers a fact duly recorded by newburgh oh what convulsive pangs and throes tend the new birth of battered bows from the raised tub he hears the rant the new the moving godly cant the new the pious consolation that faith alone works out salvation after a few months in dublin the new reformer cynic disappeared after as newburgh suggests fleecing his flock pockridge's death was a sad and unexpected one in the year seventeen fifty nine being then upon one of his musical tours through england he happened to be lodging at hamlin's coffee-house sweeting's alley near the royal exchange london when a disastrous fire supposed to have been originated in his own room perhaps owing to some new experiment broke out one night and destroyed several houses the unfortunate musician was among those who perished in the flames the gentleman's magazine in its account of the affair refers to him as mr pokeridge who had invented a new kind of music upon glasses the ladies magazine for seventeen ninety four page one hundred seventy eight quoting from a life of dr franklin says quote, the tone produced by rubbing the brim of a drinking-glass with a wet finger has been generally known a mr puckeridge an irishman by placing on a table a number of glasses of different sizes and tuning them by partly filling them with water endeavoured to form an instrument capable of playing tunes he was prevented by an untimely end from bringing his invention to any degree of perfection after his death some improvements were made upon his plan the sweetness of the tone induced dr franklin to make a variety of experiments and he at length formed that elegant instrument which he has called the harmonica after pockridge's death newburgh wrote a mock elegy which has some amusing lines commemorating the projector's various schemes and inventions and with a sly allusion to his gallantries mourn him ye bogs in tears discharge your tides no more shall pockridge tap your spongy hides ye geese ye ganders cackle doleful lays no more his mountain tops your flocks shall graze be silent dumb ye late harmonious glasses free from surprise serenely sleep ye lasses let drums unbraced in hollow murmurs tell how he that waked their thunders silent fell let tempests swell the surge no more his boat secure from wreck shall on the billows float no more ye sons of nappy shall his beer or nut-brown ale your drooping spirits cheer to his own castles built sublime in air quitting his geese and bogs and glassy care with blood infused and like a meteor bright on his own pinions pock has winged his flight end of an irish musical genius 
the inventor of the musical glasses by d j o'donohue When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. W. Kent and Company's Late David Bogues Annual Catalogue, April 1859. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. W. Kent and Sons, Late David Bogues Annual Catalogue, April 1859. New Illustrated Works. The Merry Days of England, Sketches of the Olden Time by Edward McDermott, illustrated with twenty large engravings from drawings by Joseph Nash, George Thomas, Burkett Foster, Edward Carbold, etc., and ornamented with numerous initial letters and tail pieces by Harry Rogers. Handsomely bound in cloth, decorated in the manner of the Elizabethan period. Crown quarto, twenty-one shillings, cloth gilt or thirty-four shillings morocco elegant or antique dreamland by mary elizabeth illustrated by jesse mcleod and printed in tints by hanhart the list of illustrations comprises the poet's dream youth's dream of ambition the exile's dream age's dream of the past dream of the criminal the conqueror's dream the merchant's dream the miser's dream the murderer's dream a dream of happiness, a dream of plenty, a dream of peace, the dream of the brave knight. This book, from the very exquisite manner in which it is got up, deserves a place on every drawing-room table. Demi quarto, richly bound, twenty-one shillings, plain, forty-two shillings, highly colored. The Loves of the Poets, or Portraits of Ideal Beauty, being a series of original steel engravings drawn by the most eminent artists, and engraved by Moat, with illustrative text by Tennyson, Wordsworth, etc. Demi quarto, richly ornamented, 21 shillings, plain. 42 shillings, colored. The Miller's Daughter by Alfred Tennyson, illustrated with 17 steel engravings, drawn by A. L. Bond, and engraved by Moat, with a portrait of the author. Small quarto, handsome cloth binding, 16 shillings, morocco twenty-four shillings the fables of aesop and others translated into human nature with twenty-five humorous illustrations by charles h bennett author of shadows small quarto ornamental boards six shillings plain ten shillings sixpence colored a more amusing and else a more instructive work it is not easy to imagine observer christmas with the poets a collection of english poetry relating to the festival of christmas upwards of fifty engravings from drawings by burkett foster and numerous initial letters and borders printed in gold new edition with additional embellishments super royal octavo richly bound twenty-one shillings morocco thirty-one shillings sixpence merry pictures by comic hands being a collection of humorous designs by fizz 
Coquille, Doyle, Leach, Meadows, Hine, etc., with illustrative text. Oblong folio, handsome cover by Coquille, 12 shillings. Milton's L'Allegro and El Penseroso, with upwards of 30 illustrations drawn and etched by Perkett Foster. The text printed in red. Super Royal Octavo, neatly bound, 21 shillings. Morocco, 31 shillings, sixpence altogether one of the handsomest and most beautiful books which has come under our notice it deserves a place on every drawing-room table morning post longfellow's poetical works illustrated new and enlarged edition including evangeline voices of the night seaside and fireside the golden legend and other poems with one hundred and seventy engravings on wood from designs by burkett foster jane e hay and john gilbert crown octavo twenty-one shillings cloth thirty shillings morocco evangeline separately ten shillings sixpence cloth sixteen shillings morocco voices of the night seaside etc fifteen shillings cloth twenty-one shillings morocco longfellow's golden legend illustrated a new and revised edition with numerous alterations and notes by the author illustrated by burkett foster Crown Octavo, 12 shillings cloth, 21 shillings Morocco. Longfellow's Courtship of Miles Standish, and other poems. Illustrated by John Absalon, Burkett Foster, and M. S. Morgan. Crown Octavo, 7 shillings sixpence, cloth gilt. No reader can fail to perceive how natural and charming is this poem. Examiner. For other editions of Longfellow's works, see pages 9 and 10. Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, profusely illustrated by William Harvey, with memoir by Rev. George Cheever, D.D., 3rd edition Crown Octavo, 12 shillings cloth, 18 shillings Morocco, large paper, 42 shillings cloth, 60 shillings Morocco. The Christian Graces in Olden Time A series of female portraits beautifully engraved by the best artists with poetical illustrations by Henry Stebbing, D.D., imperial octavo twenty-one shillings richly bound and gilt forty-two shillings colored the heroines of shakespeare forty-five portraits of his principal characters engraved under the superintendence of mr charles heath from drawings by the best artists imperial octavo handsomely bound in morocco forty-two shillings colored plates three pounds thirteen shillings sixpence proof before letters on large paper five pounds five shillings handsomely bound poetry of the year passages from the poets descriptive of the seasons with twenty-two colored illustrations from drawings by burkett foster t creswick e duncan william lee c h weigel h weir david cox and other eminent artists imperial octavo large paper twenty-one shillings the cartoons of raphael from hampton court palace engraved by john burnett with descriptive letterpress and critical remarks seven large plates twenty-four inches by thirty-four in wrapper thirty-one shillings sixpence or colored sixty-three shillings the gallery of byron beauties portraits of the heroines of lord byron's poems from drawings by the most eminent artists super royal octavo morocco thirty-one shillings sixpence highly colored three pounds Heath's Waverly Gallery, 
Portraits of the Principal Female Characters in the Writings of Scott. Thirty-six highly finished plates. Super Royal Octavo, splendidly bound in Morocco, thirty-one shillings, sixpence, with colored plates, three pounds. Gallery of the Graces, or Beauties of the British Poets. Thirty-six beautiful female heads by Landseer, Boxall, F. Stone, etc., illustrating Tennyson, Campbell, Rogers, Landon, etc., Super Royal Octavo, thirty-one shillings, sixpence, Morocco, with colored plates, three pounds. Portraits of Ladies of Distinction at the Court of Her Majesty Queen Victoria A series of charming portraits of the young female nobility, beautifully engraved by the most eminent artists. Proof Impressions, Imperial Quarto, priced two pounds, two shillings, handsomely bound. Curiosities of Glassmaking a History of the Art, Ancient and Modern, by Apsley Pellet Esquire, with six beautifully colored plates of antique vases, etc. Small quarto, cloth, twelve shillings. Museum of Painting and Sculpture A collection of the principal pictures, statues, and bas-reliefs in the public and private galleries of Europe. This work, which contains engravings of all the chief works in the Italian, German, Dutch, French, and English schools, includes twelve hundred plates and is an indispensable vade mecum to the artist or collector in seventeen handsome volumes octavo neatly bound with gilt tops four pounds fourteen shillings sixpence the bible gallery eighteen portraits of the women mentioned in scripture engraved from original drawings with letterpress descriptions imperial octavo handsomely bound twenty-one shillings with plates beautifully colored forty-two shillings the women of the bible eighteen portraits forming a second series of the bible gallery handsomely bound twenty-one shillings colored forty-two shillings the language of flowers or the pilgrimage of love by thomas miller with eight beautifully colored plates second edition small octavo cloth six shillings morocco seven shillings sixpence milton's poetical works paradise lost and regained Comus Samson Agonistes, L'Allegro, etc., with Essay on Milton's Life and Writings by James Montgomery, illustrated with 120 engravings by Thompson, Williams, Oren Smith, etc., from drawings by William Harvey. Two volumes, Crown Octavo, 24 shillings, cloth, 34 shillings, Morocco. Cowper's Poems with Life and Critical Remarks by the Reverend Thomas Dale and seventy-five fine engravings by J. Oren Smith, from drawings by John Gilbert. Two volumes, Crown Octavo, twenty-four shillings, cloth, thirty-four shillings, Morocco. The handsomest of the editions of Cowper, Spectator. Thomson's Seasons and Castle of Indolence, with life and critical remarks by Alan Cunningham, and forty-eight illustrations by Samuel Williams. Twelve shillings, cloth, seventeen shillings, Morocco. Beattie and Collins' Poetical Works, with an essay on their lives and writings, and illustrations engraved by S. Williams, etc., from drawings by John Absalom. Crown Octavo Cloth, 12 shillings. Morocco, 17 shillings. Sir Walter Scott's Most Popular Works, The Illustrated Editions. 1. The Lay of the Last Minstrel. 2. The Lady of the Lake. 3. Marmion, A Tale of Flodden Field. 4. Rokeby. These elegant volumes are uniformly printed in fool's cap octavo 
and illustrated with numerous engravings on steel price seven shillings cloth ten shillings sixpence morocco elegant biography travel etc men of the time or biographical sketches of eminent living characters authors architects artists composers capitalists dramatists divines discoverers engineers journalists men of science ministers monarchs novelists painters philanthropists poets politicians savants sculptors statesmen travelers voyagers warriors with biographies of celebrated women greatly enlarged edition with several hundred additional memoirs small octavo twelve shillings sixpence cloth the life and remains of douglas gerald by his son blanchard gerald containing also a quantity of interesting correspondence with some of the principal literary men of the day with a portrait on steel crown octavo twelve shillings cloth here we have gerald at home and a more beautiful and winning portrait of a man of letters does not we think exist athenium the heroes of england or england's warriors by sea and land being stories of the lives of the most celebrated soldiers and sailors from edward the black prince to the present time with illustrations by john gilbert and a portrait on steel of general havelock fool's cap octavo six shillings cloth the boy's book of modern travel and adventure by m johns author of children's bible picture book historical tales etc illustrated with eight engravings from drawings by william harvey fool's cap octavo cloth gilt five shillings relics of genius visits to the last homes of poets painters and players with biographical sketches by t p grinstead again with illustrations square sixteenmo six shillings cloth gilt the fondness for literary gossip is one of the most marked characteristics of our times and to those who would indulge in it we can hardly recommend a pleasanter companion than mr grinstead morning herald the wars of the roses or stories of the struggles between york and lancaster by j g edgar beautifully illustrated fool's cap octavo five shillings cloth these tales somewhat remind us in their easy and picturesque style of sir walter scott's celebrated and fascinating performance it is the very book to put into the hands of a manly boy critic the boyhood of great men as an example to youth by john g edgar with cuts by b foster fourth edition three shillings sixpence cloth four shillings gilt edges it would have been a matter of regret to see such a book badly executed that regret we are spared for this little volume is simply and well done the biographies are numerous and brief but not too short to be amusing and as thousands of boys thirst for greatness which is acquired by ones and tens there will be thousands glad to read a book like this examiner footprints of men or biography for boys by j g edgar cuts by foster fourth edition three shillings six pounds cloth four shillings gilt edges a very useful and agreeable volume it is useful as biography is always an important ally to history and it is useful because it gives another blow to the waning idea that any eminence has ever been attained without severe labor standard
Boy Princes are Scions of Royalty Cut Off in Youth by John G. Edgar With illustrations by George Thomas Fool's Cap, Octavo, Five Shillings, Cloth History for Boys For Annals of the Nations of Modern Europe by John G. Edgar With eight illustrations Fool's Cap, Octavo, Five Shillings, Cloth Southeast Life of Nelson illustrated with numerous engravings on wood from designs by duncan burkett foster richard westall etc crown octavo six shillings cloth morocco ten shillings sixpence the boat and the caravan a family tour in egypt and syria with engravings on steel from original drawings fourth edition full cap octavo cloth five shillings morocco eight shillings sixpence a ramble through normandy or scenes characters and incidents in a sketching excursion through calvados by george m musgrave m a post octavo with numerous illustrations six shillings sixpence cloth the wonders of travel containing choice extracts from the best books of travel fool's cap octavo plates three shillings sixpence curiosities of modern travel being your books of adventure four volumes Fool's cap, fourteen shillings, cloth. Romance of modern travel, three volumes, fool's cap, ten shillings, sixpence, cloth. Architectural works. Raphael and J. Arthur Brandon, an analysis of Gothic architecture, illustrated by a series of upwards of seven hundred examples of doorways, windows, etc., accompanied with remarks on the several details of an ecclesiastical edifice by r and j a brandon architects two volumes royal quarto five pounds five shillings the open timber roofs of the middle ages illustrated by perspective and working drawings of some of the best varieties of church roofs with descriptive letterpress by r and j a brandon royal quarto uniform with the above three pounds three shillings parish churches being perspective views of english ecclesiastical structures accompanied by plans drawn to a uniform scale and letterpress descriptions by r and j a brandon architects two volumes large octavo containing one hundred sixty plates two pounds two shillings winkle's english cathedrals architectural and picturesque illustrations of the cathedral churches of england and wales New edition with the Manchester Cathedral, 186 plates, beautifully engraved by B. Winkles, with historical and descriptive accounts of the various cathedrals in three handsome volumes, Imperial Octavo Cloth, two pounds, eight shillings. The third volume, comprising Litchfield, Gloucester, Hereford, Worcester, Durham, Carlisle, Chester, Ripon, Manchester, and the Welsh cathedrals, may still be had separately to complete sets. Price twenty four shillings in octavo. Glossary of architecture. Explanation of the terms used in Grecian, Roman, Italian, and Gothic architecture, exemplified by many hundred woodcuts. Fifth edition, much enlarged. Three volumes, octavo, forty eight shillings. Introduction to Gothic architecture by the editor of the glossary with numerous illustrations. Four shillings, sixpence, cloth domestic architecture illustrations of the ancient domestic architecture of england from the eleventh to the seventeenth century 
arranged by John Britton, F.S.A., with an historical and descriptive essay. Foolscap, octavo, five shillings, cloth. Gothic Architecture Details of Gothic Architecture, Measure and Drawn from Existing Examples, by James K. Colling. Two volumes. Medium quarto, five pounds, five shillings. Gothic Ornaments, Drawn from Existing Authorities, by James K. Colling. Two volumes, seven pounds, ten shillings. Principles of Gothic Ecclesiastical Architecture, by Matthew H. Bloxham, with an explanation of architectural terms collected from building contracts and other sources prior to the Reformation. Tenth edition greatly enlarged and illustrated with 300 woodcuts, beautifully printed in small octavo, seven shillings cloth, nearly ready. Poetry Longfellow's Poetical Works New and complete edition including Miles Standish with a fine portrait and other engravings. Fool's cap, six shillings cloth, ten shillings sixpence, Morocco. The Courtship of Miles Standish and Other Poems, New Edition. Fool's cap, five shillings, cloth gilt. Cheap edition with illustrations, one shilling boards. The Song of Hiawatha by H. W. Longfellow. New edition with the author's latest corrections with illustrations cheap protective edition foolscap two shillings sixpence cloth gilt two shillings sewed the golden legend by h w longfellow second edition foolscap five shillings cloth cheap edition one shilling sixpence cloth one shilling sewed poe's edgar allen poetical works with a notice of his life and genius by james hanney esq printed on superfine toned paper and beautifully illustrated by winnert godwin harrison weir and anclay crown octavo cloth gilt edges five shillings goldsmith's oliver poetical works with a notice of his life and genius by e f blanchard esq printed on superfine toned paper and illustrated by john absalon burkett foster james godwin and harrison weir Crown Octavo Cloth, Gilt Edges, Five Shillings. Poems by Alexander Smith, Fifth Edition. Fool's Cab Octavo Cloth, Five Shillings. Sonnets on the War by Alexander Smith and by the author of The Balder. One Shilling Sewed. Griselda and Other Poems by Edwin Arnold. Fool's Cap, Six Shillings Cloth. Robert Burns, A Centenary Song and Other Lyrics by Gerald Massey. Quartal, three shillings sewed. The Ballad of Babe Christabel and Other Lyrical Poems by Gerald Massey, 5th edition, five shillings cloth. Craig Cook Castle, a poem by Gerald Massey, 2nd edition revised, fool's cap, five shillings cloth. Reverend Thomas Dale's poetical works, including The Widow of Nain, The Daughter of Jairus, etc. New and enlarged edition, fool's cap, octavo, seven shillings cloth morocco elegant fourteen shillings poems by edward capern rural postman of biddeford devon third edition with additions fool's cap five shillings cloth ballads and poems by edward capern author of poems fool's cap five shillings cloth egeria or the spirit of nature by charles mckay lld fool's cap octavo three shillings sixpence cloth Town Lyrics by Charles McKay, Crown Octavo, 
sewed one shilling lauren and other poems by g t coster foolscap octavo three shillings cloth fiction and amusement old faces in new masks a series of literary scientific and humorous essays by r blakey ph d author of the history of the philosophy of mind with an illustration octavo seven shillings cloth longfellow's prose works hyperion kavanagh and outermare foolscap octavo uniform with longfellow's poetical works with numerous engravings six shillings cloth ten shillings sixpence morocco the traditions of london historical and legendary by waters author of recollections of a police officer crown octavo five shillings cloth parlor magic a manual of amusing experiments transmutations slights and subtleties ledger domain etc new edition revised and enlarged with the addition of several tricks from the performance of houdin robin etc four shillings sixpence cloth acting charades or deeds not words a christmas game to make a long evening short by the brothers mayhew illustrated with many hundred woodcuts five shillings cloth a cracker bonbon for christmas parties a collection of humorous dramas poems and sketches by r b bro profusely illustrated by hine cloth three shillings sixpence round games for all parties a collection of the greatest variety of family amusements for the fireside or picnic games of action games of memory catch games games requiring the exercise of fancy intelligence and imagination directions for crying forfeits etc second edition five shillings cloth gilt shadows twenty-five amusing engravings by c h bennett ornamental wrappers two shillings sixpence colored four shillings sixpence where's shadow here sir shadow shakespeare the notion that has seized mr bennett's fancy is an old one and he has worked it out with great humor a comic figure makes a shadow really more comic than itself and it excites an amount of agreeable curiosity and gratification on seeing the one figure to imagine how the artist will contrive to make it reflect another morning chronicle grimm's household stories all the most popular fairy tales and legends of germany collected by the brothers grimm newly translated and illustrated with two hundred and forty engravings by edward h winnert complete in one volume crown octavo seven shillings sixpence cloth adventures of robinson crusoe complete reprinted from the original edition with illustrations by stothard crown octavo cloth seven shillings sixpence the young lady's oracle or fortune-telling book a fireside amusement with plate one shilling cloth useful works one shilling each neatly bound etiquette for ladies forty-first edition etiquette for gentlemen thirty-fifth edition etiquette of courtship and matrimony with a complete guide to the forms of a wedding language of flowers with illuminated covers and colored front piece handbook of pencil drawing plates a shilling's worth of sense the weather book three hundred rules for telling the weather the ballroom preceptor and polka guide ballroom polka with music and figures scientific works etc letters on the great exhibition and its results on the arts and manufactures 
delivered before the Society of Arts by some of the most eminent men of the day, in two series, priced seven shillings sixpence each, neatly bound in cloth. Suggestions in design, including original compositions in all styles, with descriptive notes for the use of artists and art workmen, containing nearly six hundred hints for workers in metal, wood, ivory, glass, and leather. The potter, weaver, printer in colors, engraver, decorator, etc., by Luke Limner, quarto sixteen shillings cloth. Your book of facts in science and art, exhibiting the most important discoveries and improvements of the year, and a literary and scientific obituary, by John Timms, F.S.A., editor of the Arcana of Science, fool's cap octavo five shillings cloth. This work is published annually and contains a complete and condensed view of the progress of discovery during the year systematically arranged with engravings illustrative of novelties in the arts and sciences etc the volumes from its commencement in eighteen thirty nine may still be had five shillings each this book does for us what we have not done for ourselves it stores up every useful bit of information to be found in the records of learned societies or announced through scientific and news journals globe ably and honestly compiled athenium the literary and scientific register and almanac for eighteen fifty nine with an ample collection of useful statistical and miscellaneous tables dedicated by special permission to h r h the prince consort by j w g gutch m r c s l f l s late foreign service queen's messenger price three shillings sixpence roan tuck as perfect a compendium of useful knowledge in connection with literature science and the arts as it is necessary everybody should have acquaintance with it is in short a little volume which will save the trouble of hunting through many books of more pretension and supply offhand what without it would require much time and trouble times dictionaries webster's quarto dictionary unabridged containing all the words in the english language with their etymologies and derivations by noah webster l l d revised by professor goodrich with pronouncing vocabularies of scripture classical and geographical names new edition carefully printed in large quarto volume thirty one shillings sixpence cloth forty two shillings calf the only complete work all the octavo editions are abridgments all young persons should have a standard dictionary at their elbow and while you are about it get the best that dictionary is noah webster's the great work unabridged if you are too poor save the amount from off your back to put it into your head we can have no hesitation in giving as our opinion that this is the most elaborate and successful undertaking of the kind which has ever appeared times the veteran webster's work is the best and most useful dictionary of the english language ever published every page attests the learning and talent and sound judgment and nice discrimination the great industry profound research and surprising perseverance of the author it is a very manifest improvement on todd johnson and contains many thousand more words than that of any other english dictionary hitherto published examiner webster's smaller dictionary condensed and adapted to english orthography and usage from various sources by charles robson crown octavo five shillings embossed webster's pocket dictionary thirty two mo 
six shillings seven pence miniature french dictionary in french and english english and french comprising all the words in general use the remarkably comprehensive nature and compact size of this little dictionary admirably fit it for the student and tourist neatly bound in roan four shillings morocco gilt edges five shillings sixpence comic works george cruikshank's works my sketchbook containing more than two hundred laughable sketches by george cruikshank in nine numbers two shillings sixpence plain three shillings sixpence colored scraps and sketches in four parts each eight shillings plain twelve shillings colored illustrations of time two shillings sixpence plain five shillings colored illustrations of phrenology eight shillings plain twelve shillings colored the bottle in eight large plates one shilling and on large paper two shillings sixpence or printed in tents six shillings the drunkard's children a sequel to the bottle eight large plates one shilling printed in tents six shillings these two works may be had stitched up with dr charles mckay's illustrative poems price three shillings the poems separate one shilling the comic alphabet twenty-six humorous designs in case two shillings sixpence plain four shillings colored the loving ballad of lord bateman with twelve humorous plates cloth two shillings the bachelor's own book being twenty-four passages in the life of mr lambkin in the pursuit of pleasure and amusement five shillings sewed colored eight shillings sixpence the comic almanac from its commencement in eighteen thirty five to eighteen fifty three illustrated with numerous large plates by george cruikshank and many hundred amusing cuts any of the separate years except that for eighteen thirty five may be had at one shilling threepence each comic adventures of obadiah oldbuck wherein are duly set forth the crosses chagrins changes and calamities by which his courtship was attended showing also the issue of his suit and his espousal to his lady-love large octavo with eighty-four plates seven shillings cloth the history of mr ogleby showing how by the polish of his manners the brilliancy of his repartees and the elegance of his attitudes he attained distinction in the fashionable world one hundred fifty designs six shillings cloth shadows twenty-five amusing engravings by c h bennett ornamental wrapper two shillings sixpence colored four shillings sixpence where's shadow here sir shadow shakespeare the notion that has seized mr bennett's fancy is an odd one and he has worked it out with great humour a comic figure makes a shadow really more comic than itself and it excites an amount of agreeable curiosity and gratification on seeing the one figure to imagine how the artist could contrive to make it reflect another morning chronicle the fables of aesop and others translated into human nature with twenty-five humorous illustrations by charles h bennett author of shadows demi quarto ornamental boards six shillings plain ten shillings sixpence colored this will be a popular book mr bennett's first venture the grotesquely treated shadows was a decided hit and he seems to have the knack of combining comicality and fancy in such proportions as shall be appetizing and digestible for the public spectator the sandboy's adventures or london in eighteen fifty one 
during the great exhibition by henry mayhew and george cruikshank octavo cloth eight shillings sixpence the comical creatures from wurtenburg from the stuffed animals in the great expedition square cloth three shillings sixpence colored sixpence comical people met with at the great exhibition from drawings by j j granville small quarto three shillings sixpence colored sixpence new books for old and young by john timms f s a school days of eminent men with sketches of the progress of education from the reign of king alfred to that of queen victoria and memoirs of the school and college days of the most eminent men in british history with illustrations five shillings curiosities of science past and present contents physical phenomena sound and light astronomy geology and paleontology meteorological phenomena physical geography of the sea phenomena of heat magnetism and electricity the electric telegraph with front piece and vignette price three shillings sixpence popular airs explained and illustrated an entirely new edition with front piece and vignette price three shillings sixpence curiosities of history with new lights with front piece and vignette price three shillings sixpence a cabinet volume well restored well arranged pleasant to read useful to consult containing a multitude of historical elucidations neatly stated and judiciously grouped leader things not generally known familiarly explained with front piece and vignette price three shillings sixpence any one who reads and remembers mr timm's encyclopedic varieties should ever after be a good tea-table talker an excellent companion for children a well-read person and a proficient lecturer for mr timm's has stored up in this little volume more knowledge than is to be found in one hundred books that might be named athenium a second volume of things not generally known is nearly ready curiosities of london exhibiting the most rare and remarkable objects of interest in the metropolis past and present with nearly fifty years personal recollections in a volume of eight hundred pages price fourteen shillings with a portrait of the author from a painting by t j gullock a wonderful little dictionary of london is this volume by mr timms there is so much out-of-the-way reading in it such apt introduction of personal experience and such a quantity of agreeable illustration drawn from both books and men we heartily commend this volume examiner painting popularly explained with historic notices of the progress of the art by thomas john gullock painter and john timms f s a in small octavo six shillings juvenile works captain reed's books of adventures for boys the young yeagers a narrative of hunting adventures in southern africa by captain main reed author of the boy hunters the young voyagers etc second edition with twelve illustrations by william harvey fool's cap seven shillings cloth the bush boys or the history and adventures of a cape farmer and his family in the wild karoos of southern africa second edition with twelve illustrations fool's cap seven shillings cloth the desert home or english family robinson with numerous illustrations by w harvey 
sixth edition cloth seven shillings with colored plates nine shillings the boy hunters or adventures in search of a white buffalo with numerous plates by harvey fifth edition cloth seven shillings colored nine shillings the young voyagers or adventures in the fur countries of the far north plates by harvey second edition cloth seven shillings with colored plates nine shillings the forest exiles or perils of a peruvian family amid the wilds of the amazon with twelve plates third edition seven shillings cloth with colored plates nine shillings the plant hunters or adventures among the himalaya mountains plates by harvey cloth seven shillings ran away to sea an autobiography for boys with twelve illustrations cloth seven shillings as a writer of books for boys commend us above all men living to captain main reed wherever his new book goes this new year there will be abundant delight for hours of reading and plenty to talk of by the evening fire toils and adventures dangers darings and sufferings are narrated in the most vivid manner thoroughly fascinating the mind of the reader and retaining it in fixed and eager attention till a crisis of some kind is reached take our word for it boy friends if you become captain mains reads boys readers on our recommendation you will thank us for it with all your hearts and praise the book more enthusiastically than we have done nonconformist mr h mayhew's books of science for boys the wonders of science are young humphrey davy the cornish apothecary's boy who taught himself natural philosophy and eventually became president of the royal society the life of a wonderful boy written for boys by henry mayhew author of the peasant boy philosopher etc with illustrations by john gilbert second edition fool's cap six shillings cloth a better hero for a boy's book mr mayhew could not have found and no writer would have treated the story more successfully than he has done we have long been in want of a young people's author and we seem to have the right man in the right place in the person of mr mayhew athenium the story of the pleasant boy philosopher or a child gathering pebbles on the seashore founded on the life of ferguson the shepherd boy astronomer and showing how a poor lad made himself acquainted with the principles of natural science by henry mayhew author of london labor and the london poor with eight illustrations by john gilbert and numerous drawings printed in the text third edition six shillings cloth told with the grace and feeling of goldsmith and by one who has that knowledge of science which goldsmith lacked it is as if brewster and poor goldie had combined to produce this instructive and beautifully told tale era mr j g edgar's books for boys the wars of the roses or stories of the struggles between york and lancaster by j g edgar with six beautiful illustrations fool's cap five shillings cloth the boyhood of great men as an example to youth by j g edgar with cuts by b foster fourth edition three shillings sixpence cloth with gilt edges four shillings footprints of famous men or biography for boys by j g edgar cuts by foster fourth edition three shillings sixpence cloth four shillings gilt edges boy princes by john g edgar with illustrations by george thomas fool's cap octavo five shillings cloth history for boys or annals of the nations of modern europe 
by j g edgar foolscap octavo with illustrations by george thomas five shillings cloth gilt the heroes of england or england's warriors by sea and land being stories of the lives of the most celebrated soldiers and sailors from edward the black prince to the present time with illustrations by john gilbert and portrait on steel of havelock fool's cap octavo six shillings cloth a boy's book of modern travel and adventure by m johns author of children's bible picture book historical tales etc illustrated with eight engravings from drawings by william harvey fool's cap octavo five shillings cloth gilt the home lesson book illustrated with nearly three hundred engravings containing the home primer the home natural history and the home grammar in one volume handsomely bound in cloth gilt gilt edges fool's cap three shillings plain five shillings sixpence colored the home story-book beautifully illustrated containing the well-bred doll the discontented chickens and the history of little jane in one volume handsomely bound in cloth gilt edges fool's cap three shillings plain five shillings sixpence colored the boy's own book a complete encyclopedia of all the diversions athletic scientific and recreative of boyhood and youth with several hundred woodcuts new edition greatly enlarged and improved handsomely bound eight shillings sixpence morocco fourteen shillings the little boy's own book an abridgment of the boy's own book for little boys three shillings sixpence neatly bound grimm's household stories all of the most popular fairy tales and legends of germany collected by the brothers grimm newly translated and illustrated with two hundred and forty engravings by edward w wennert complete in one volume crown octavo seven shillings sixpence cloth with gilt edges eight shillings sixpence the rival kings or overbearing by the author of mia and charlie etc with illustrations by williams fool's cap four shillings sixpence cloth mia and charlie or a week's holiday in rydale rectory with eight engravings by b foster fool's cap four shillings sixpence cloth sydney gray a tale of school life by the author of mia and charlie with engravings fool's cap six shillings cloth the heroes of asgard and the giants of jotunheim or christmas week with the old storytellers by the author of mia and charlie with illustrations by c doyle fool's cap cloth five shillings southeast life of nelson finely illustrated edition with engravings from drawings by duncan b foster and others partly printed in the text and part in tents on separate pages small octavo six shillings neatly bound and morocco ten shillings sixpence memorable women the story of their lives by mrs newton crossland illustrated by b foster fool's cap octavo three shillings sixpence the boat and the caravan a family tour in egypt and syria with engravings on steel from original drawings fourth edition fool's cap octavo cloth five shillings morocco eight shillings sixpence the young student by madame grisette with engravings fool's cap three shillings sixpence cloth adventures of robinson crusoe complete reprinted from the original edition with illustrations by stothard crown octavo cloth seven shillings sixpence the whaleman's adventures in the southern ocean by the rev henry t cheever 
edited by the rev w scoresby d d fool's cap octavo four shillings sixpence parlor magic new edition revised and enlarged with the addition of several tricks from the performance of messrs houdin robin etc four shillings sixpence cloth the young islanders a tale of the seaward house boys by jeffries taylor tinted plates fool's cap three shillings sixpence cloth child's first lesson book many cuts square cloth three shillings sixpence colored plates sixpence bingley's tales about birds illustrative of their nature habits and instinct plates three shillings cloth bingley's tales about travellers their perils adventures and discoveries plates three shillings cloth bingley's tales of shipwreck and other disasters at sea plate three shillings cloth bingley's stories illustrative of the instinct of animals their characters and habits plates three shillings cloth bingley's stories about dogs illustrative of their instinct sagacity and fidelity with plates by thomas landseer three shillings cloth bingley's stories about horses illustrative of their intelligence sagacity and docility plates three shillings cloth bigley's bible quadrupeds the natural history of the animals mentioned in scripture plates three shillings cloth original poems for my children by thomas miller profusely illustrated two shillings sixpence cloth george cruikshank's fairy library edited and illustrated by george cruikshank one hop o' my thumb one shilling two jack and the beanstalk one shilling three cinderella or the glass slipper one shilling harry's ladder to learning picture books for children price sixpence each plain one shilling colored harry's hornbook harry's picture book harry's country walks harry's nursery songs harry's simple stories harry's nursery tales or the six bound in one volume three shillings sixpence cloth or with colored plates six shillings bertie's indestructible treasury printed on calico and illustrated with one hundred pictures square sixteen mo three shillings sixpence cloth little mary's books for children price sixpence each profusely illustrated primer spelling book reading book history of england scripture lessons first book of poetry second book of poetry babes in the wood picture riddles little mary and her doll natural history little mary's treasury being eight of the above bound in one volume cloth five shillings little mary's lesson book containing primer spelling and reading in one volume cloth gilt two shillings sixpence comical story-books with colored plates one shilling each one the weasels of homewood two the wonderful hare hunt three story of reynard the fox four lady chaffinch's ball five alderman gobble six a comical fight home books in cloth one shilling each colored two shillings sixpence home lesson books the home primer nearly two hundred cuts the home natural history cuts the home grammar cuts or in one volume gilt edges plain three shillings colored five shillings sixpence home story-books the well-bred doll cuts the discontented chickens cuts 
the history of little jane and her new book cuts or in one volume gilt edges plain three shillings colored five shillings sixpence indestructible books indestructible lesson books price one shilling each one alphabet two primer three spelling four expositor five reading book the indestructible lesson book being the above five in one volume with one hundred twenty five pictures price five shillings indestructible pleasure books one shilling each colored one bo peep two mother goose three house that jack built four wedding of cock robin five death of cock robin six mother hubbard seven cat and mouse eight jenny wren nine old woman and her pig ten little man and maid manuals of instruction and amusement one shilling each neatly printed and illustrated one manual of flower gardening for ladies by j b whiting practical gardener second edition two manual of chess by charles kenny three manual of music by c w manby four manual of domestic economy by john timms five manual of cage birds by a practical bird keeper six manual of oil painting with a glossary of terms of art seven manual for butterfly collectors by abel ingpen plates eight manual of painting in watercolors elementary drawing books by monsieur julien studies of heads by monsieur julien professor of drawing in the military school of paris lithographed by t fairland six numbers two shillings each or cloth fourteen shillings the human figure a series of progressive studies by monsieur julien with instructions six numbers two shillings each or cloth fourteen shillings by george childs drawing book of objects nearly five hundred subjects for young pupils and drawing classes in schools six numbers one shilling each cloth seven shillings sixpence drawing book of figures sketches from life at home and abroad several hundred figures six numbers one shilling or bound seven shillings sixpence english landscape scenery sketches from nature for finished copies six numbers one shilling each cloth seven shillings sixpence little sketchbook easy studies in landscapes figures etc improved edition fourteen numbers sixpence or two volumes cloth four shillings each by j d harding early drawing book elementary lessons six numbers one shilling sixpence or in cloth ten shillings sixpence phillips etchings of familiar life three numbers one shilling sixpence sutcliffe's drawing book of horses six numbers one shilling cloth seven shillings sixpence worsley's little drawing book of landscapes etc fourteen numbers six shillings or two volumes cloth four shillings each miscellaneous works william's symbolical euclid chiefly from the text of dr simpson adapted to the use of students by the rev j m williams of queen's college cambridge new edition six shillings sixpence cloth seven shillings roan an octavo edition may also be had seven shillings cloth this edition is in use at many of the public schools king's interest tables or sums from one to ten thousand pounds 
enlarged and improved with several useful additions by joseph king of liverpool in one large volume octavo twenty-one shillings health for the million and manual for the toilet with hints on the physical training of children and the treatment of invalids in old age also the means of averting the noxious agents in general use in the principal arts and trades by william jones f s a author of how to make home happy fool's cap cloth four shillings sixpence how to make home happy or hints and cautions for all with five hundred odds and ends worth remembering by william jones f s a small octavo four shillings sixpence cloth panoramic view of palestine or the holy land before the destruction of jerusalem depicting the sites of the various localities mentioned in scripture with references in a folding cloth case plain two shillings sixpence colored three shillings sixpence on sheet plain one shilling sixpence colored two shillings sixpence tilt's cabinet library editions one dr johnson's lives of the english poets two boswell's life of johnson three oliver goldsmith's works four hervey's meditations and contemplations these works are clearly and beautifully printed by whittingham each comprised in a handsome fool's cap octavo volume their elegance and cheapness render them very suitable for presents school prizes or travelling companions price six shillings each neatly half bound in morocco or nine shillings calf extra tilt's edition must be specified in ordering the above the book and its story a narrative for the young by l n r dedicated to the british and foreign bible society with an introductory preface by the rev t phillips jubilee secretary eleventh edition on fine paper with a new plate the first reading of the bible in old st paul's engraved expressly for this edition crown octavo cloth price four shillings the book and its story twelfth and the people's edition seventy-second thousand price two shillings in paper boards or limp cloth two shillings sixpence cloth boards ditto gilt edges three shillings handsomely bound in morocco eight shillings the book and its story in the french language having been issued by the société des livres religieux à toulouse the publishers of the english edition have imported a quantity for the use of schools and students of the french language price four shillings the book and its story in the german language with a preface by dr f w krumacher price four shillings cloth this is an entire translation of that noble english work of which dr osterlag of weissel had already given us an abstract no one would suspect from the simple headings of this attractive and popular volume that they are the doors to such treasure-houses of instruction and edification german review the book and its mission past and present a monthly magazine of which three volumes are already published containing not only a survey of the progress of the bible among heathen nations but france brittany spain italy and sardinia also pass under review the particulars of the female bible missions which are now beginning to excite general interest and which are being carried on in st giles among the dust heaps at paddington in westminster spitalfields clerkenwell etc are at present only to be found in these volumes demi octavo cloth three shillings gilt edges three shillings sixpence each 
continued in monthly parts at two shillings. The History of the Painters of All Nations by M. Charles Blanc, late Directeur de Beaux-Arts of France. The illustrations executed under the artistic direction of M. Armengo of Paris, in one handsome volume, Half Rhone Royal, Quarto, price thirty shillings. Only a few copies of this splendid work remain in print. Memoirs of the Queens of Prussia by Emma Wilshire Atkinson. This work especially includes the period between 1701, the date of Frederick I's assumption to the title of king, and the present time, and it is intended to describe the lives, and as much as can be ascertained of the private history of the six princesses who bore the titles of Queens of Prussia during that period. Demi Octavo, price ten shillings, sixpence cloth. St. Leonard or the Missionary, a vision. The scene of the poem is laid in India in the days of Akbar. The hero suffers death at an auto da fe at Goa. Price three shillings, sixpence, twelve mo cloth. The Ladies' Drawing Room Book, containing upwards of thirty magnificent engravings with sixty-four pages of appropriate text also one hundred four pages of full directions for working in crochet point lace embroidery etc with explanatory engravings consisting of nearly one hundred patterns in every department of ladies work price ten shillings sixpence elegant cloth gilt edges this beautiful work will never be repented and but a very few copies remain in print daniel webster's great orations and senatorial speeches comprising his eulogies on Adams and Jefferson, orations on the first settlement of New England, on the Bunker Hill Monument, and his reply to Hayne on the sale of public lands, etc., with a beautifully engraved portrait of Mr. Webster, priced two shillings in handsome cloth boards. Miss Kennedy's new novel, Shreds and Patches, or Pathos and Bathos, A Tale of Fashionable Life, by Jane Kennedy, crown octavo handsome cloth three shillings sixpence the work is admirably written and being pervaded by a healthy and improving tone it may safely be placed in the hands of the young of both sexes morning post the balance of beauty or the lost image restored by jane kennedy author of sketches of character julian young maids and old maids things old and new etc price three shillings sixpence neatly bound in cloth miss kennedy may take it for granted that those who judge purely upon the merits of her literary performances and with thorough impartiality will do her the justice to inform the public that her last tale shows abundant proofs of cleverness a shrewd appreciation of character and an earnest disposition to be useful for the promotion of sound learning and accurate religious training we have come to this conclusion after a careful perusal of the balance of beauty and have much pleasure in recording such an opinion of its merits weekly messenger lionel fitzgibbon and his parrot illustrated by the author of the balance of beauty etc a nice present for boys and girls price three shillings sixpence cloth gilt the angler's complete guide to the rivers and lakes of england by robert blakely ph d new and revised edition foolscap with an illustration by burkett foster and an illustrated wrapper price two shilling boards the life of alexis sawyer by his two secretaries containing a number of receipts never before published a complete system of vegetarian dietary 
a proposition for a college of domestic servants etc price two shillings ornamental boards to read the book is to learn that the life of a cook may not be without high aspirations and entertaining incidents morning post the unpublished receipts and odds and ends of gastronomy are worth the money charged for the whole affair morning herald hints for the table or the economy of good living with a few words on wines price two shillings sixpence this is a wonderful book morning star the gourmet's guide to rabbit cooking or how to cook a rabbit in one hundred and twenty four different ways price one shilling seven hundred domestic hints in every branch of family management by a lady price two shillings sixpence the wit and opinions of douglas gerald a collection of the bright thoughts pungent sarcasms and words of wisdom uttered by this celebrated man edited by his son small octavo in the press recollections of a detective police officer second series by waters being a collection of incidents of the same thrilling interest as those contained in the first series in the press horticulture gardening etc the cottage gardener's dictionary describing the plants fruits and vegetables desirable for the garden and explaining the terms and operations employed in their cultivation with an alphabetical list of synonyms edited by g w johnson esq editor of the cottage gardener etc etc third edition crown octavo strongly bound in cloth eight shillings sixpence glennie's handbook to the flower garden and greenhouse comprising the description cultivation and management of all the popular flowers and plants grown in this country with a calendar of monthly operations for the flower garden and greenhouse just published a new and thoroughly revised edition by george glennie editor of the gardener's gazette and the gardener and the practical florist etc etc crown octavo cloth gilt edges price five shillings sixpence glennie's catechism of gardening containing the elements of practical gardening or plain questions and answers arranged for the use of schools by the rev j edwards second master of king's college london and particularly adapted for agricultural and village schools eighteen mo sewed nine pence glennie's garden almanac and florist directory for eighteen fifty nine twenty-second year containing the management of an amateur's garden during the year new plants flowers etc to come out in the spring and other useful information price one shilling the vegetable kingdom and its products serving as an introduction to the natural system of botany and as a textbook to the study of all vegetable products used in the arts manufactures medicine and domestic economy arranged according to the system of de Cando, illustrated with nearly three hundred engravings and containing an enumeration of seven thousand genera and four thousand synonyms representing about one hundred thousand species of plants by robert hogg author of british pomology the manual of fruits and co-editor of the cottage gardener crown octavo handsome cloth ten shillings sixpence manual of flower gardening for ladies by j b whiting practical gardener royal twenty four mo sewed price one shilling treatises on the robertsonian method german without a master sixth edition a course of lessons in the german language first series containing introductory exercises in reading writing and speaking german 
as well as a simplified method of declining the nouns never before published, together with full instructions for the guidance of the learner in pronouncing the language. Price two shillings. Second series. Containing advanced exercises in reading, writing, and speaking German, together with rules for conjugating the verbs and directions for making use of the German written character. Price two shillings. Third series. Containing concluding exercises in reading, writing, and speaking German, and directions for the learner in continuing the study of the language. Price two shillings. The whole course of eighteen lessons may be had, neatly bound in cloth, lettered. Price seven shillings sixpence. French without a master. Fiftieth thousand. A course of lessons in the French language, containing an explanation of the chief idiomatic difficulties of the language, a practical introduction to French conversation, and a complete treatise on the pronunciation, intended for the use of persons studying the language without the aid of a teacher. Price two shillings. Spanish without a master. Fourth edition. A course of lessons in the Spanish language containing a general view of the construction of the language together with a practical exposition of the pronunciation for the use of persons studying the language without a master two shillings latin without a master new edition a course of lessons in the latin language containing a general view of the structures of the language exercises in reading and speaking latin together with a complete treatise on the modern english pronunciation of the language price two shillings italian without a master a course of lessons in the italian language price two shillings english without a master a course of lessons in the english language price two shillings price one shilling monthly the national magazine a journal devoted to literature and art and equally an organ of both an art magazine but not one to which literature is merely incidental a literary magazine but not one to which art is a mere adjunct attractiveness of subject and of treatment is studied in every department tales by acknowledged authors occupy considerable space reviews essays varieties of travel and adventure humor sketches and occasional reports of public matters find due place thus forming altogether whether regarded from a literary or an artistic point of view a magazine of surpassing interest and beauty four volumes handsomely bound price seven shillings sixpence each have been already published volume five just published handsome cloth gilt seven shillings sixpence cases for binding one shilling sixpence each price twopence monthly the book and its missions dedicated to the british and foreign bible society and to the friends of the bible circulation throughout the world edited by l n r author of the book and its story the plan of this cheap periodical which has obtained a wide circulation is distinct from that of any other and it aims at a character less ephemeral the book of god itself is shown to map out the whole world into five divisions by its own reception in it past and present it may be traced to the ancient church which primarily received it to the lands where the priests now hide it from the people to those where a false book has supplanted it to those where it is yet unknown and finally to the protestant countries from whence it goes forth to be the light of the earth this progress is illuminated in the book and its missions by historical and geographical details carefully collected from the best authorities in order to interest the general reader and to afford especially to the young 
a more realizing sense of the mighty work the bible is accomplishing afar off and near home it is very suitable for circulation in schools while the principles of the bible society do not permit its office bearers to accept the responsibility of editing such a magazine as the present it yet enjoys their unqualified recommendation and much of the matter passes under their direct supervision published monthly price two pence numbers one to forty are all in print also in volumes cloth plain three shillings or gilt edges three shillings sixpence volumes one two three are now ready end of w kent and company's late david bogues annual catalogue april eighteen fifty nine another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of slash talk to us what would you like the power to do mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply bank of america and a member fdsc the meaning of relativity lecture one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by amelia chesley the meaning of relativity lecture one space and time in pre-relativity physics the theory of relativity is intimately connected with the theory of space and time i shall therefore begin with a brief investigation of the origin of our ideas of space and time although in doing so i know that i introduce a controversial subject the object of all science whether natural science or psychology is to coordinate our experiences and to bring them into a logical system how are our customary ideas of space and time related to the character of our experiences the experiences of an individual appear to us arranged in a series of events in this series the single events which we remember appear to be ordered according to the criterion of earlier and later which cannot be analyzed further there exists therefore for the individual an eye time or subjective time this in itself is not measurable i can indeed associate numbers with the events in such a way that a greater number is associated with the later event than with an earlier one but the nature of this association may be quite arbitrary this association i can define by means of a clock by comparing the order of events furnished by the clock with the order of the given series of events we understand by a clock something which provides a series of events which can be counted and which has other properties of which we shall speak later by the aid of speech different individuals can to a certain extent compare their experiences in this way it is shown that certain sense perceptions of different individuals correspond to each other while for other sense perceptions no such correspondence can be established we are accustomed to regard as real those sense perceptions which are common to different individuals and which therefore are in a measure impersonal the natural sciences and in particular the most fundamental of them physics 
deal with such sense perceptions. The conception of physical bodies, in particular of rigid bodies, is a relatively constant complex of such sense perceptions. A clock is also a body, or a system, in the same sense, with the additional property that the series of events which it counts is formed of elements, all of which can be regarded as equal. The only justification for our concepts and system of concepts is that they serve to represent the complex of our experiences. Beyond this, they have no legitimacy. I am convinced that the philosophers have had a harmful effect upon the progress of scientific thinking in removing certain fundamental concepts from the domain of empiricism, where they are under our control, to the intangible heights of the a priori. For even if it should appear that the universe of ideas cannot be deduced from experience by logical means, but is, in a sense, a creation of the human mind, without which no science is possible, nevertheless this universe of ideas is just as little independent of the nature of our experiences as clothes are of the form of the human body. This is particularly true of our concepts of time and space, which physicists have been obliged by the facts to bring down from the Olympus of the a priori in order to adjust them and put them in a serviceable condition. We now come to our concepts and judgments of space. It is essential here also to pay strict attention to the relation of experience to our concepts. It seems to me that Poincaré clearly recognized the truth in the account he gave in his book, La Science et la Hypothèse. Among all the changes which we can perceive in a rigid body, those are marked by their simplicity, which can be made reversibly by an arbitrary motion of the body. Poincaré calls these changes in position. By means of simple changes in position, we can bring two bodies into contact. The theorems of congruence, fundamental in geometry, have to do with the laws that govern such changes in position. For the concept of space, the following seems essential. We can form new bodies by bringing bodies B, C, up to body A. We see that we continue body A. We can continue body A in such a way that it comes into contact with any other body, X. The ensemble of all continuations of body A we can designate as the space of the body A. Then it is true that all bodies are in the space of the arbitrarily chosen body A. In this sense, we cannot speak of space in the abstract, but only of the space belonging to a body A. The Earth's crust plays such a dominant role in our daily life, in judging the relative positions of bodies, that it has led to an abstract conception of space, which certainly cannot be defended. In order to free ourselves from this fatal error, we shall speak only of bodies of reference, or space of reference. It was only through the theory of general relativity that refinement of these concepts became necessary, as we shall see later. I shall not go into detail concerning those properties of the space of reference which led to our conceiving points as elements of space, and space as a continuum nor shall I attempt to analyze further the properties of space which justify the conception of continuous series of points or lines. If these concepts are assumed, 
together with their relation to the solid bodies of experience, then it is easy to say what we mean by the three-dimensionality of space. To each point, three numbers, x1, x2, x3, coordinates, may be associated in such a way that this association is uniquely reciprocal and that x1, x2, and x3 vary continuously when the point describes a continuous series of points, a line. It is assumed in pre-relativity physics that the laws of the orientation of ideal rigid bodies are consistent with Euclidean geometry. What this means may be expressed as follows. Two points marked on a rigid body form an interval. Such an interval can be oriented at rest, relatively to our space of reference, in a multiplicity of ways. If now the points of this space can be referred to coordinates x1, x2, x3 in such a way that the differences of the coordinates delta x1, delta x2, delta x3 of the two ends of the interval furnish the same sum of squares. s squared equals delta x1 squared plus delta x2 squared plus delta x3 squared. For every orientation of the interval, then the space of reference is called Euclidean and the coordinates Cartesian. It is sufficient, indeed, to make this assumption in the limit for an infinitely small interval. Involved in this assumption, there are some which are rather less special, to which we must call attention on account of their fundamental significance. In the first place, it is assumed that one can move an ideal rigid body in an arbitrary manner. In the second place, it is assumed that the behavior of ideal rigid bodies towards orientation is independent of the material of the bodies and their changes of position, in the sense that if two intervals can once be brought into coincidence, they can always and everywhere be brought into coincidence. Both of these assumptions, which are of fundamental importance for geometry, and especially for physical measurements, naturally arise from experience. In the theory of general relativity, their validity needs to be assumed only for bodies and spaces of reference which are infinitely small compared to astronomical dimensions. The quantity s we call the length of the interval. In order that this may be uniquely determined, it is necessary to fix arbitrarily the length of a definite interval. For example, we can put it equal to one unit of length. Then the lengths of all other intervals may be determined. If we make the xv linearly dependent upon parameter lambda, xv equals av plus lambda bv. We obtain a line which has all the properties of the straight lines of Euclidean geometry. In particular, it easily follows that by laying off n times the interval s upon a straight line, an interval length of n times s is obtained. A length, therefore, means the result of a measurement carried out along a straight line by means of a unit measuring rod. It has significance which is as 
independent of the system of coordinates as that of a straight line, as will appear in the sequel. We come now to a train of thought which plays an analogous role in the theories of special and general relativity. We ask the question, besides the Cartesian coordinates which we have used, are there other equivalent coordinates? An interval has a physical meaning which is independent of the choice of coordinates, and so has the spherical surface which we obtain as the locus of the endpoints of all equal intervals that we lay off from an arbitrary point of our space of reference. If xv as well as x prime v, v from 1 to 3, are Cartesian coordinates of our space of reference, then the spherical surface will be expressed in our two systems of coordinates by the equations sum delta xv squared equals constant sum delta x prime v squared equals constant. How must the x prime v be expressed in terms of the xv in order that equations 2 and 2a may be equivalent to each other. Regarding the x prime v expressed as functions of the xv, we can write by Taylor's theorem for small values of the delta xv, delta x prime v equals the summation of dou x prime v over dou x alpha times delta x alpha plus one half the summation of dou squared x prime v over dou x alpha dou x beta times delta x alpha delta x beta and so forth. If we substitute 2a in this equation and compare with equation 1, we see that the x prime v must be linear functions of the xv. If we therefore put x prime v equals alpha v plus the summation of b v alpha times x alpha, or delta x prime v equals the summation b v alpha delta x alpha, then the equivalence of equations 2 and 2a is expressed in the form sum delta x prime v squared equals lambda sum delta x v squared, lambda being independent of delta x v. It therefore follows that lambda must be a constant. If we put lambda equal to 1, 2b and 3a furnish the conditions sum b v alpha b v beta equals do alpha beta in which do alpha beta equals 1 or do alpha beta equals 0 according as alpha equals beta or alpha does not equal beta. The conditions are called the conditions of orthogonality and the transformations 3 and 4 linear orthogonal transformations. If we stipulate that s squared equals the sum of delta x v squared shall be equal to the square of the length in every system of coordinates, and if we always measure with the same unit scale, 
then lambda must be equal to 1. Therefore, the linear orthogonal transformations are the only ones by means of which we can pass from one Cartesian system of coordinates in our space of reference to another. We see that in applying such transformations, the equations of a straight line become equations of a straight line. Reversing equation 3a by multiplying both sides by b v beta and summing for all the v's, we obtain sum b v beta delta x prime v equals sum b v alpha b v beta delta x alpha equals sum do alpha beta delta x alpha equals delta x beta. The same coefficients b also determine the inverse substitution of delta x v. Geometrically, b v alpha is the cosine of the angle between the x prime v axis and the x alpha axis. To sum up, we can say that in the Euclidean geometry there are, in a given space of reference, preferred systems of coordinates, the Cartesian systems, which transform into each other by linear orthogonal transformations. The distance s between two points of our space of reference, measured by a measuring rod, is expressed in such coordinates in a particularly simple manner. The whole of geometry may be founded upon this conception of distance. In the present treatment, geometry is related to actual things, rigid bodies, and its theorems are statements concerning the behavior of these things, which may prove to be true or false. One is ordinarily accustomed to study geometry divorced from any relation between its concepts and experience. There are advantages in isolating that which is purely logical and independent of what is, in principle, incomplete empiricism. This is satisfactory to the pure mathematician. He is satisfied if he can deduce his theorems from axioms correctly, that is, without errors of logic. The question as to whether Euclidean geometry is true or not does not concern him. But for our purpose, it is necessary to associate the fundamental concepts of geometry with natural objects. Without such an association, geometry is worthless for the physicist. The physicist is concerned with the question as to whether the theorems of geometry are true or not. That Euclidean geometry, from this point of view, affirms something more than the mere deductions derived logically from definitions may be seen from the following simple consideration. Between n points of space, there are n times n minus 1, all divided by 2 distances, s mu v. Between these and the three n coordinates, we have the relations s mu v squared equals x1 mu minus x1 v, all squared, plus x2 mu minus x2 v, all squared, plus, and so on. From these n, n minus 1, all over 2 equations, the three n coordinates may be eliminated, and from this elimination, 
least n times n minus 1 all over 2 minus 3n equations in the s mu v will result. Footnote. In reality, there are n times n minus 1 all over 2 minus 3n plus 6 equations. End of footnote. Since the s mu v are measurable quantities, and by definition are independent of each other, these relations between s mu v are not necessary a priori. From the foregoing, it is evident that the equations of transformation 3 and 4 have a fundamental significance in Euclidean geometry in that they govern the transformation from one Cartesian system of coordinates to another. The Cartesian systems of coordinates are characterized by the property that in them the measurable distance between two points, s, is expressed by the equation s squared equals the sum of delta xv squared. If k xv and k prime xv are two Cartesian systems of coordinates, then the sum of delta xv squared equals the sum of delta x prime v squared. The right-hand side is identically equal to the left-hand side on account of the equations of the linear orthogonal transformation, and the right-hand side differs from the left-hand side only in that the xv are replaced by the x prime v. This is expressed by the statement that sum delta xv squared is an invariant with respect to linear orthogonal transformations. It is evident that in the Euclidean geometry, only such and all such quantities have an objective significance, independent of the particular choice of the Cartesian coordinates, as can be expressed by an invariant with respect to linear orthogonal transformations. This is the reason that the theory of invariance which has to do with the laws that govern the form of invariance, is so important for analytical geometry. As a second example of geometrical invariant, consider a volume. This is expressed by v equals integral dx1 dx2 dx3. By means of Jacobi's theorem, we may write integral dx prime 1, dx prime 2, dx prime 3 equals the integral of do x prime 1, x prime 2, x prime 3, all over do x1, x2, x3, times dx1, dx2, dx3, where the integrand in the last integral is the functional determinant of the x prime v with respect to the xv, and this, by equation 3, is equal to the determinant b mu v of the coefficients of substitution b v alpha. If we form the determinant of the do mu alpha from equation 4, we obtain by means of the theorem of multiplication of determinants 1 equals the absolute value of do alpha beta equals the absolute value of the sum 
B V alpha B V beta equals the absolute value of B mu V squared and B mu V equals plus or minus one. If we limit ourselves to those transformations which have the determinant plus one, and only these arise from the continuous variations of the systems of coordinates, then V is an invariant. Footnote. There are thus two kinds of Cartesian systems which are designated as right-handed and left-handed systems. The difference between these is familiar to every physicist and engineer. It is interesting to note that these two kinds of systems cannot be defined geometrically, but only the contrast between them. Invariants, however, are not the only forms by means of which we can give expression to the independence of the particular choice of the Cartesian coordinates. Vectors and tensors are other forms of expression. Let us express the fact that the point with the current coordinates xv lies upon a straight line. We have xv minus av equals lambda bv, v from 1 to 3. Without limiting the generality, we can put sum of bv squared equals 1. If we multiply the equations by b beta v, compare equation 3a and equation 5, and sum for all the v's, we get x prime beta minus a prime beta equals lambda b prime beta where we have written b prime beta equals the sum of b beta v b v and a prime beta equals the sum of b beta v a v. These are the equations of straight lines with respect to a second Cartesian systems of coordinates k prime. They have the same form as the equations with respect to the original system of coordinates. It is therefore evident that straight lines have a significance which is independent of the system of coordinates. Formally, this depends upon the fact that the quantities xv minus av all minus lambda bv are transformed as the components of an interval, delta xv. The ensemble of three quantities defined for every system of Cartesian coordinates and which transform as the components of an interval is called a vector. If the three components of a vector vanish for one system of Cartesian coordinates, they vanish for all systems because the equations of transformation are homogeneous. We can thus get the meaning of the concept of a vector without referring to a geometrical representation. This behavior of the equations of a straight line can be expressed by saying that the equation of a straight line is covariant with respect to linear orthogonal transformations. We shall now show briefly that there are geometrical entities which lead to the concept of tensors. Let P0 be the center of a surface of the second degree. P, any point on the surface, and Xi V, the projections of the interval P0, P, upon the coordinate axes. Then the equation of the surface is sum A mu V, K 
chi mu chi v equals one. In this and in analogous cases, we shall omit the sign of summation and understand that the summation is to be carried out for those indices that appear twice. We thus write the equation of the surface a mu v chi mu chi v equals one. The quantities a mu v determine the surface completely for a given position of the center with respect to the chosen system of Cartesian coordinates. From the known law of transformation for the chi v for linear orthogonal transformations, we easily find the law of transformation for the a mu v. a prime o rho b o mu b rho v a mu v. This transformation is homogeneous and of the first degree in the a mu v. On account of this transformation, the a mu v are called components of a tensor of the second rank, the latter on account of the double index. If all the components a mu v of a tensor with respect to any system of Cartesian coordinates vanish, they vanish with respect to every other Cartesian system. The form and the position of the surface of the second degree is described by this tensor, a. Analytic tensors of higher rank, number of indices, may be defined. It is possible and advantageous to regard vectors as tensors of rank 1 and invariants, scalars, as tensors of rank 0. In this respect, the problem of the theory of invariants may be so formulated. According to what laws may new tensors be formed from given tensors, we shall consider these laws now in order to be able to apply them later. We shall deal first only with the properties of tensors with respect to the transformation from one Cartesian system to another in the same space of reference by means of linear orthogonal transformations. As the laws are wholly independent of the number of dimensions, we shall leave this number n indefinite at first. Definition if a figure is defined with respect to every system of Cartesian coordinates in a space of reference of n dimensions by the n to the alpha numbers a mu v p alpha equaling the number of indices, then these numbers are the components of a tensor of rank alpha if the transformation law is a prime mu prime v prime pho prime and so forth equals b mu prime mu, b v prime v, b pho prime pho, and so forth, a mu v pho, and so forth. Remark, from this definition it follows that a mu v pho, and so forth, equals b mu c v d pho, and so forth is an invariant, provided that b, c, d, and so forth, are vectors. Conversely, the tensor character of a may be inferred if it is known that the expression 8 leads to an invariant for an arbitrary choice of the vectors b, c, etc. Addition and subtraction By addition and subtraction of the corresponding components of tensors of the same rank, a tensor of equal rank results 
a mu v fo etc plus or minus b mu v fo etc equals c mu v fo etc the proof follows from the definition of a tensor given above multiplication from a tensor of rank alpha and a tensor of rank beta we may obtain a tensor of rank alpha plus beta by multiplying all the components of the first tensor by all the components of the second tensor t mu v fo etc alpha beta etc equals a mu v fo etc b alpha beta lambda etc contraction a tensor of rank alpha minus two may be obtained from the rank of alpha by putting two definite indices equal to each other and then summing for this single index t fo and so forth equals a mu mu fo and so forth equals the sum of a mu mu fo and so forth the proof is a alpha mu mu fo and so forth equals b mu alpha b mu beta b fo lambda and so forth a alpha beta lambda equals do alpha beta b fo lambda and so forth a alpha beta lambda and so forth equals b fo lambda and so forth a alpha alpha lambda and so forth in addition to these elementary rules of operation there is also the formation of tensors by differentiation erweiterung t mu v fo etc alpha equals do a mu v fo and so forth all over do x alpha new tensors in respect to linear orthogonal transformations may be formed from tensors according to these rules of operation symmetrical properties of tensors tensors are called symmetrical or skew symmetrical in respect to two of their indices mu and v if both the components which result from interchanging the indices mu and v are equal to each other or equal with opposite signs condition for symmetry a mu v fo equals a v mu fo condition for skew symmetry a mu v fo equals negative a v mu fo theorem the character of symmetry or skew symmetry exists independently of the choice of coordinates and in this lies its importance the proof follows from the equation defining tensors special tensors one the quantities do fo sigma are tensor components fundamental tensor proof if in the right hand side of the equation of transformation a prime mu v equals b mu alpha b v beta a alpha beta we substitute for a alpha beta the quantities do alpha beta which are equal to one or zero according as alpha equals beta or alpha does not equal beta we get a prime mu v equals b mu alpha b v alpha 
equals do mu v. The justification for the last sign of equality becomes evident if one applies equation 4 to the inverse substitution, equation 5. 2. There is a tensor, do, mu, v, fo, and so forth, skew symmetrical with respect to all pairs of indices, whose rank is equal to the number of dimensions, n, and whose components are equal to positive 1 or negative 1, according as mu, v, fo, etc., is an even or odd permutation of 1, 2, 3, etc. The proof follows with the aid of the theorem proved above. The absolute value of b pho sigma equals 1. These few simple theorems form the apparatus from the theory of invariance for building the equations of pre-relativity physics and the theory of special relativity. We have seen that in pre-relativity physics, in order to specify relations in space, a body of reference or a space of reference is required, and in addition a Cartesian system of coordinates. We can fuse both these concepts into a single one by thinking of a Cartesian system of coordinates as a cubical framework formed of rods each of unit length. The coordinates of the lattice points of this frame are integral numbers. It follows from the fundamental relation s squared equals delta x1 squared plus delta x2 squared plus delta x3 squared, that the members of such a space lattice are all of unit length. To specify relations in time, we require in addition a standard clock placed at the origin of our Cartesian system of coordinates or frame of reference. If an event takes place anywhere, we can assign it to three coordinates, x, v, and a time, t, as soon as we have specified the time of the clock at the origin, which is simultaneous with the event. We therefore give an objective significance to the statement of the simultaneity of distant events, while previously we have been concerned only with the simultaneity of two experiences of an individual. The time so specified is at all events independent of the position of the system of coordinates in our space of reference, and is therefore an invariant with respect to the transformation. It is postulated that the system of equations expressing the laws of pre-relativity physics is covariant with the respect to the transformation 3, as are the relations of Euclidean geometry. The isotropy and homogeneity of space is expressed in this way. Footnote. The laws of physics could be expressed even in case there were a unique direction in space, in such a way as to be covariant with respect to the transformation 3. But such an expression would in this case be unsuitable. If there were a unique direction in space, it would simplify the description of natural phenomena to orient the system of coordinates in a definite way in this direction. But if, on the other hand, there is no unique direction in space, it is not logical to formulate the laws of nature in such a way as to conceal the equivalence of systems of coordinates that are oriented differently. We shall meet with this point of view again in the theories of special and general relativity. End footnote. We shall now consider some of the more important equations of physics from this point of view. The equations of motion of a material particle are m 
d squared xv over dt squared equal xv. dxv is a vector. dt, and therefore also 1 over dt, an invariant. Thus, dxv over dt is a vector. In the same way, it may be shown that d squared xv over dt squared is a vector. In general, the operation of differentiation with respect to time does not alter the tensor character. Since m is an invariant tensor of rank 0, m d squared xv over dt squared is a vector, or tensor of rank 1, by the theorem of the multiplication of tensors. If the force xv has a vector character, the same holds for the difference m times d squared xv over dt squared minus xv. These equations of motion are therefore valid in every other system of Cartesian coordinates in the space of reference. In the case where the forces are conservative, we can easily recognize the vector character of xv. For a potential energy, phi exists which depends only upon the mutual distances of the particles and is therefore an invariant. The vector character of the force xv equals negative dou phi all over dou xv is then a consequence of our general theorem about the derivative of a tensor of rank 0. Multiplying by the velocity, a tensor of rank 1, we obtain the tensor equation m times d squared xv over dt squared minus xv, all multiplied by dxv over dt, equals 0. By contraction and multiplication by the scalar dt, we obtain the equation of kinetic energy, d times mq squared over 2 equals xv dxv. If chi v denotes the difference of the coordinates of the material particle and a point fixed in space, then the chi-v have the character of vectors. We evidently have d squared xv over dt squared equals d squared chi-v over dt squared, so that the equations of motion of the particle may be written m times d squared chi-v over dt squared minus xv equals 0. Multiplying this equation by chi mu, we obtain a tensor equation m d squared chi v over dt squared minus xv, all multiplied by chi mu, equals 0. Contracting the tensor on the left and taking the time average, we obtain the varial theorem, which we shall not consider further. By interchanging the indices and subsequent subtraction, we obtain, after a simple transformation, the theorem of moments. d over dt times m times chi mu times d chi v over dt minus chi v times d chi mu over dt equals chi mu xv minus chi v x mu. It is evident in this way that the moment of a vector is not a vector, but a tensor. 
On account of their skew-symmetrical character, there are not nine, but only three independent equations of this system. The possibility of replacing skew-symmetrical tensors of the second rank in space of three dimensions by vectors depends upon the formation of the vector a mu equals one-half a sigma rho do sigma rho mu. If we multiply the skew-symmetrical tensor of rank 2 by the special skew-symmetrical tensor do introduced above and contract twice, a vector results whose components are numerically equal to those of the tensor. These are the so-called axial vectors, which transform differently from a right-handed system to a left-handed system from the delta xv. There is a gain in picturesqueness in regarding a skew-symmetrical tensor of rank 2 as a vector in space of three dimensions, but it does not represent the exact nature of the corresponding quantity so well as considering it a tensor. We consider next the equations of motion as a continuous medium. Let phi be the density, uv the velocity components considered as functions of the coordinates, and the time xv the volume forces per unit of mass, and p v sigma the stresses upon a surface perpendicular to the sigma axis in the direction of increasing xv. Then the equations of motion are, by Newton's law, phi duv over dt equals negative do p v sigma over do x sigma plus phi xv, in which duv over dt is the acceleration of the particle, which at time t has the coordinates xv. If we express this acceleration by partial differential coefficients, we obtain, after dividing by phi, dot uv over dt plus dot uv over dx sigma times u sigma equals negative 1 over phi times dot pv sigma over dot x sigma plus xv. We must show that this equation holds independently of the special choice of the Cartesian system of coordinates. uv is a vector, and therefore do uv over do t is also a vector. do uv over do x sigma is a tensor of rank 2. do uv over do x sigma times u rho is a tensor of rank 3. The second term on the left results from a contraction of the indices sigma and rho. The vector character of the second term on the right is obvious. In order that the first term on the right may also be a vector, it is necessary for p v sigma to be a tensor. Then by differentiation and contraction, do p v sigma over do x sigma results and is therefore a vector as it also is after multiplication by the reciprocal scalar 1 over pho. That p v sigma is a tensor, and therefore transforms according to the equation p prime mu v equals b mu alpha b v beta p alpha beta, is proved in mechanics by integrating this equation over an infinitely small tetrahedron.
it is also proved there by application of the theorem of moments to an infinitely small parallelopedian that p v sigma equals p sigma v and hence that the tensor of the stress is a symmetrical tensor from what has been said it follows that with the aid of the rules given above the equation is covariant with respect to orthogonal transformations in space rotational transformations and the rules according to which the quantities in the equation must be transformed in order that the equation may be covariant also become evident the covariance of the equation of continuity do fo over do t plus do fo u v over do x v equals zero requires from the foregoing no particular discussion we shall also test for covariance the equations which express the dependence of the stress components upon the properties of the matter and set up these equations for the case of a compressible viscous fluid with the aid of the conditions of covariance if we neglect the viscosity the pressure p will be a scalar and will depend only upon the density and the temperature of the fluid the contribution to the stress tensor is then evidently p do mu v in which do mu v is the special symmetrical tensor this term will also be present in the case of a viscous fluid but in this case there will also be pressure terms which depend upon the space derivatives of the uv we shall assume that this dependence is a linear one since these terms must be symmetrical tensors the only ones which enter will be alpha multiplied by do u mu over do x v plus do u v over do x mu plus beta do mu v times do u alpha over do x alpha for do u alpha over do x alpha is a scalar for physical reasons no slipping it is assumed that for symmetrical dilations in all directions for example when do u one over do x one equals do u two over do x two equals do u three over do x three do u one over do x two etc equals zero there are no frictional forces present from which it follows that beta equals negative two-thirds alpha if only do u one over do x three is different from zero let p thirty one equal negative alpha multiplied by do u one over do x three by which a is determined we then obtain for the complete stress tensor p mu v equals p do mu v minus alpha multiplied by do u mu over do x v plus do u v over do x mu minus two-thirds multiplied by do u one over do x one plus do u two over do x two plus do u three over do x three multiplied by do mu v the heuristic value of the theory of invariance which arises from the isotropy of space equivalence of all directions becomes evident from this example we consider finally maxwell's equations in the form which are the foundation of the electron theory of lorentz
dou h3 over dou x2 minus dou h2 over dou x3 equals 1 over c dou e1 over dou t plus 1 over c i1 dou h1 over dou x3 minus dou h3 over dou x1 equals 1 over c times dou e2 over dou t plus 1 over c i2 dou h2 over dou x1 minus dou h1 over dou x2 equals 1 over c times dou e3 over dou t plus 1 over c i3 dou e1 over dou x1 plus dou e2 over dou x2 plus dou e3 over dou x3 equals fo dou e3 over dou x2 minus dou e2 over dou x3 equals negative 1 over c times dou h1 over dou t dou e1 over dou x3 minus dou e3 over dou x1 equals negative 1 over c dou h2 over dou t dou e2 over dou x1 minus dou e1 over dou x2 equals negative 1 over c times dou h3 over dou t dou h1 over dou x1 plus dou h2 over dou x2 plus dou h3 over dou x3 equals 0. I is a vector because the current density is defined as the density of electricity multiplied by the vector velocity of the electricity. According to the first three equations, it is evident that E is also to be regarded as a vector. Then H cannot be regarded as a vector. Footnote. These considerations will make the reader familiar with tensor operations. Without the special difficulties of the four-dimensional treatment, corresponding considerations in the theory of special relativity, Minowski's interpretation of the field, will then offer fewer difficulties. End footnote. The equations may, however, easily be interpreted if H is regarded as a skew-symmetrical tensor of the second rank. In this sense, we write H23, H31, H12, in place of H1, H2, and H3, respectively. Paying attention to the skew symmetry of H mu V, the first three equations of 19 and 20 may be written in the form of dou H mu V over dou XV equals 1 over C times dou E mu over dou T plus 1 over c i mu dou e mu over dou xv minus dou ev over dou x mu equals 1 over c times dou h mu v over dou t. In contrast to e, h appears as a quantity which has the same type of symmetry as an angular velocity. The divergence equations then take the form dou ev over dou xv equals pho, dou h mu v over dou x pho plus dou h v pho over dou x mu plus dou h pho mu over dou xv equals zero. 
The last equation is a skew-symmetrical tensor equation of the third rank. The skew-symmetry of the left-hand side with respect to every pair of indices may easily be proved if attention is paid to the skew-symmetry of h mu v. This notation is more natural than the usual one because, in contrast to the latter, it is applicable to Cartesian left-handed systems as well as to right-handed systems without change of sign. End of the Meaning of Relativity, Lecture 1「Excerpt from Chapter 4 Names and Sentences of the First Fleeters from Convict Life in New South Wales and Van Diemen's Land » This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Excerpt from Chapter 4 Names and Sentences of the First Fleeters by Charles White A Correct List The Lifers, Fourteen and Seven Years Convicts A Prophetic Song Story of the last survivor the following is a correct list of the convicts who were sent out in the first fleet showing the periods for which they were transported transported for life george barbsby robert bales thomas barrett William Bladderhorn, James Cox, William Davis, Joseph Donage, Thomas Eccles, Thomas Gearing, John Harris, Joseph Hall, James Heading, John Hill, William Hilt, John Kellen, alias Keeling. David Kilpack, George List, Thomas Limpus, Mary Long, Mary Marshall, Hannah Mullins, Richard Partridge, Sarah Perry, Charles Peet, John Ponty, Anne Reed, Thomas Risdale, alias Crowder, John Rugglass, John Ruffler, James Shears, Joseph Tusso, John Welsh, Edward Witten, Charles Wilson, Samuel Woodham, and John Wolcott. Transported for fourteen years. Samuel Day. Francis Davis, William Hogg, Margaret Jones, John Jones, Thomas Jones, Jeremiah Leahy, Joseph Long, Anne Lynch, Joseph Marshall, 
Betty Mason, Lydia Monroe, Joseph Owen, Isaac Rogers, Daniel Spencer, John Stogdell, James Underwood, Mary Wade, alias Cacklane, and Mary Wickham. Transported for Seven Years Robert Abel, Henry Abrams, Esther Abrahams, Mary Abel, alias Tilly, Thomas Akers, John Adams, Mary Adams, Richard Agley, John Allen, William Allen, Charles Allen, Susanna Allen, Mary Allen, Jasmine Allen, alias Boddington, Mary Allen, alias Connor, John Anderson, Eliza Anderson, John Anderson, Fanny Anderson, John Archer, John Arscott, George Alkinson, Sarah Alt, John Einers, alias Agnew, John Iris, James Bartlett, Henry Barnett, alias Bernard, alias Burton, Stephen Barnes, George Bannister, John Bursard, George Barland, James Balding, alias William, Elizabeth Basin, James Bailey, John Baisley, Thomas Baker, Catton Batley, Samuel Barbsby, John Ball, John Barry, Daniel Barrett, Elizabeth Barber, Ruth Baldwin, alias Bowyer, Martha Baker, William Bell, Samuel Benier, Jacob Bellet, Anne Beardsley, John Best, Elizabeth Beckford, Thomas Bellamy, James Bird, Samuel Bird, Joseph Bishop, John Bingham, alias Banghan, Eliza Bingham, alias Mooring, Eliza Bird, alias Winifred, William Blackall, William Blunt, Francis Blake, James Blodworth, Susanna Blanchett, Peter Bond, John Boyle, William Boggis, William Bond, Mary Bond, Rebecca Bolton, Jane Bonner, Mary Bolton, James Brown, William Brown, John Brindley, John Brindley, Richard Brown, 
William Brogue, James Bradley, James Bradley, Thomas Brown, William Bradbury, Thomas Bryant, William Bryant, Thomas Brown, John Bradford, James Brannigan, Robert Bruce, William Brown, John Bryant, William Brewer, William Bryce, Curtis Brand, Michael Bryant, Lucy Brand, alias Wood, Mary Branham, Elizabeth Bruce, James Burley, Peter Byrne, Patrick Byrne, Simon Byrne, John Busley, Margaret Byrne, Mary Burkitt, Sarah Burdo, Joseph Carver, James Castle, James Campbell, alias George, James Campbell, John Carney, Francis Carty, Anne Carey, Richard Carter, alias Michael Cartwright, Henry Cable, Mary Coral, John Susser, William Shields, Thomas Shaddock, William Church, William Chaff, Samuel Chinnery, Edward Channon, Richard Clough, Thomas Clements, John Clark, alias Hoser, William Clark, John Clark, Mary Cleaver, George Clear, Elizabeth Clark, William Connolly, Edward McCormick, James Corden, Joseph Colling, William Cole, John Matthew Cox, Richard Collier, William Connolly, Cornelius Connolly, Ishmael Coleman, John Coffin, Elizabeth Cole, James Cope, Anne Combs, Elizabeth Cole, Elizabeth Coley, Charlotte Cook, Mary Cooper, Anne Colpitz, John Cross, John Cropper, William Cross, John Creamer, Jane Creek, Edward Cunningham, James Brian Cullen, John Cullyhorn, Jacob Cudlip, alias Norris, John Cuss, alias Hannaboy William Cucko, Aaron Davis, Richard Day, Edward Davies, Samuel Davis, William Davis, James Davis, Daniel Daniels, James Daly, John Davidson, Richard Davis, Anne Daly, alias Anne Warbutton, Margaret Darnell, Anne Davis, Elizabeth Dalton, 
Rebecca Davidson, Margaret Davidson, Sarah Davies, Mary Davies, Michael Dennison, Barnaby Dennison, Patrick Delany, Thomas Dixon, alias Ralph Call, Timothy Diskell, Mary Dixon, Mary Dickinson, William Douglas, Ferdinand Dowland, James Dodding, alias Doring, William Dring, Elizabeth Dudgeons, Jane Dundas, Anne Dutton, Leonard Dare, Mary Dykes, William Earl, William Eagleton, alias Bones, Mary Eaton, alias Shepherd, Rachel Early, Martha Eaton, William Edmonds, William Edwards, George Eggleston, Peter Elam, William Elliot, Joseph Elliot, Deborah Elam, Nicholas English, John Everett, Matthew Irvingham, William Evans, Elizabeth Evans, Philip Farrell, William Farley, Anne Farmer, Benjamin Fentum, John Ferguson, Thomas Felesi, Jane Fitzgerald, alias Phillips, William Field, John Finlow, alias Hervey, Jane Field, Elizabeth Fitzgerald, Edward Flynn, Phoebe Flarty, Francis Focus, Robert Forrester, William Foyle, Anne Fowles, Margaret Fowness, Anne Forbes, James Freeman, Robert Freeman, William Francis, George Francisco, George Fry, Catherine Fryer, alias Pryor, William Fraser, Ellen Fraser, John Fuller, Francis Gardner, Edward Garth, Francis Garland, Susanna Garth, Mary Gable, Olive Gascoigne, George Guess, Annie George, Thomas Glenton, Daniel Gordon, Edward Goodwin, Andrew Goodwin, John Gould, Charles Gray, Samuel Griffles, alias Briscoe, alias Butcher, Nicholas Greenwell, John Green, Thomas Griffiths, Charles Granger, James Grace, Hannah Green, Mary Gloves, Mary Green, Anne Green, Mary Greenwood, William Gunter, John Handford, John Hatcher, William Hawfield, Richard Hawks, William Harris, John Hatch, John Hartley, John Hart, Joseph Haynes, Henry Hathaway, Dennis Hayes, 
Samuel Hall, Joseph Harbine, Joshua Harper, George Hayton, alias Clayton, Joseph Harrison, John Hart, John Hayes, Joseph Hattam, Joseph Harrison, William Hamlin, John Hall, John Haddon, William Harris, Cooper Handy, William Haynes, Elizabeth Hervey, Margaret Hall, Francis Hart, Mary Harrison, Thomas Heddington, John Herbert, Catherine Hart, John Herbert, Dorothy Hanland, alias Gray, Sarah Hall, Maria Hamilton, Mary Harrison, Esther Harwood, alias Howard, Elizabeth Hayward, Elizabeth Hall, Jane Herbert, alias Rose, alias Jenny Russell, Catherine Henry, William Hindley, alias Platt, Ottawell Hindle, John Hill, Thomas Hill, Thomas Hill, Elizabeth Hipsley, Mary Hill, Job Hollister, Thomas Howell, William Holmes, James Holloway, Thomas Howard, John Howard, James Hortop, William Holland, Susanna Holmes, Elizabeth Hologen, Hugh Hughes, Edward Humphrey, William Husband, John Hughes, Jeremiah Hurley, William Hubbard, Henry Humphreys, Thomas Hughes, James Hussey, John Hudson, Francis Ann Hughes, Susanna Huffwell, Mary Humphreys, Thomas Hylids, James Ignam, John Irving, Anne Annette, William Jackson, David Jacobs, John Jacobs, Hannah Jackson, James Jameson, Jane Jackson, alias Esther Roberts, Mary Jackson, Robert Jeffries, John Jeffries, Robert Jenkins, alias Brown, John Jepp, William Jenkins, Francis Joseph, Thomas Jones, Charles Johnson, Edward Jones, Thomas Joseph, William Johnson, Stephen Johns, Edward Johnson, Richard Jones, William Jones, Catherine Johnson, Mary Johnson, Thomas Kelly, Martha Kennedy, Thomas Kidney, Wilhelm Kilby, John King.
Edward Kimberly, John Noller, Andrew Noland, David Lenke, Richard Lane, John Laurel, William Lane, James Larne, John Lambeth, Henry Lavelle, Flora Lara, Caroline Laycock, John Leary, Stephen Legrove, George Legg, Elizabeth Lee, Isaac Lemon, Elizabeth Leonard, Joseph Levy, Amelia Levy, Sophia Lewis, Samuel Lightfoot, John Limeburner, Elizabeth Locke, John Lockley, Joseph Longstreet, Mary Love, Nathaniel Lucas, Humphrey Lynch, John Lyde, John Law, James Macri, John Massentire, John Mansfield, Stephen Martin, John Martin, Abraham Martin, Thomas Martin, Anne Martin, James Martin, Will Marney, William Mariner, John Merritt, Jane Marriott, Mary Marshall, Joseph Marshall, Susanna Mason, Anne Mather, Thomas Matten, Richard May, Sarah McCormick, Mary McCormick, Eleanor McCabe, Richard McDeed, Alexander MacDonald, James McDonagh, Redman McGrath, Francis McLean, Thomas McLean, Edward McLean, Charles McLaughlin, William McNamar, Jane Meach, William Meach, Jacob Messiah, John Maynow, Samuel Midgley, Richard Middleton, Charles Milton, Matthew Mills, Mary Mitchcraft, Nathaniel Mitchell, Mary Mitchell, Samuel Mobbs, John Mullins, Charles Mood, John Mooden, William Moore, William Morgan, Robert Morgan, Richard Morgan, John Morley, Joseph Morley, John Morisby, John Morris, Mary Morton, John Mortimer, John Mowbray, Edward Moyle, Jesse Mullock, Stephen Mullis, John Monroe, James Murphy, William Murphy, John Neal, James Neal, Elizabeth Needham, Robert Nettleton, John Newland, John Nicholas, Phoebe Norton, Robert Nunn, John O'Craft, James Ogden, William Oakey, Thomas Oldfield, Isabella Oldfield, 
Peter Opley, Thomas Orford, Elizabeth Osborne, Thomas Osborne, John Owen, John Owls, Paul Page, Joseph Paget, John Henry Palmer, William Payne, Elizabeth Parker, Mary Parker, John Parker, William Parr, Edward Perry, William Parrish, Peter Paris, Jane Parkinson, Anne Parsley, Sarah Partridge, John Pierce, James Poulet, Joshua Peck, John Penny, Edward Perkins, Richard Percival, Edward Bearcroft Perrette, John Petrie, John Petit, John Petherick, William Fillimore, Mary Phillips, Richard Phillips, Roger Fifield, Mary Fine, Samuel Piggott, Mary Piles, Mary Pinder, Elizabeth Pipkin, William Platt, Jane Poole, David Pope, John Power, William Power, Anne Powell, Elizabeth Powley, John Price, James Price, Thomas Price, Thomas Pritchard, John Ramsey, William Radford, John Randall, William Reed, Bartholomew Reardon, Charles Repeat, George Raymond, John Rice, James Richard, James Richard, David Richard, Hardwick Richardson, John Richardson, James Richardson, Samuel Richardson, William Richardson, John Richards, William Rickson, Edward Risby, Henry Roach, John Robert, William Roberts, William Roberts, William Robinson, George Robinson, George Robinson, Thomas Robinson, John Robbins, Daniel Rogers, Mary Rolt, John Romaine, Anthony Rope, Isabella Rawson, Walton Roos, John Rowe, William Rowe, James Roos, or Roos, John Russell, Robert Roof, Jenny Rose, or Russell, John Ryan, William Saltmash, Peter Sampson, William Sands, Thomas Sanderson, Anne Sandlin, Robert Scattergood, Elizabeth Scott, Samuel Selfhire, John Seymour, George Sharp, Joseph Shaw, William Shearman, Robert Shepherd, William Shore, 
John Shore, Robert Sideway, John Silverthorne, Sarah Slater, John Small, Richard Smart, Daniel Smart, Ann Smith, Ann Smith, Ann Smith, Catherine Smith, Catherine Smith, Edward Smith, Edward Smith, Hannah Smith, James Smith, John Smith, John Smith, Mary Smith, Thomas Smith, Thomas Smith, William Smith, William Smith, William Smith, William Smith, William Smith, William Snallham, Henry Sparks, John Spencer, Mary Spence, Charlotte Sprigmore, Mary Springham, James Squires, William Stanley, Thomas Stanton, John Morris Steffens, Robert Steffens, Margaret Stewart, John Stoke, Martin Stone, Charles Stone, Henry Stone, James Stowe, Thomas Dretch, James Strong, John Summers, Joshua Taylor, Henry Taylor, Sarah Taylor, Cornelius Teague, Thomas Hilton Tennant, James Tenshaw, Elizabeth Tackery, John Thomas, John Thomas, James Thomas, Elizabeth Thomas, William Thompson, William Thompson, James Thompson, Anne Thornton, James Taldy, Thomas Till, Thomas Tilly, Nicholas Todd, John Trace, Susanna Trippett, Joseph Trotter, Moses Tucker, Thomas Tummins, John Turner, John Turner, Ralph Turner, Mary Turner, Thomas Turner, Anne Twiffield, William Twinham, William Terrell, John Usher, Edward Vandell, William Vickery, Henry Vincent, Richard Waddicombe, Mary Wade, Benjamin Wager, Ellen Wainwright, James Walburn, John Walker, William Wall, William Walsh, John Ward, Anne Ward, Charlotte Ware, William Waterhouse, Mary Watkins, John Watson, Thomas Watson, John Welsh, Benjamin West, John Westwood, Edward Westlale, Samuel Wheeler, George Whitaker, William Whitting, John Wifehammer, Samuel Wilcox, John Wilding, Charles Williams, John Williams, John Williams, James Williams, Peter Williams, Robert Williams, Daniel Williams, Francis Williams, Mary Williams, 
Peter Wilson, William Wilton, George Wood, Mark Wood, Peter Woodcock, Francis Woodcock, William Worsdell, Anne Wright, Benjamin Wright, James Wright, Joseph Wright, Thomas Wright, William Wright, Lucy Wood, Thomas Yardsley, Nancy Yates, John Young, Simon Young, Elizabeth Youngson, George Youngson. This list is given not for the purpose of gratifying any morbid curiosity, but simply to preserve the names of those who were the real pioneers of the colony. To many of these men, with others who were not marked with the felon's brand, belonged the credit of making the initial movements in that work of colonization which has spread so widely and with such marvelous rapidity through this vast continent. They toiled and suffered to an extent which the mind fails to compass, and from their toil and suffering there sprang the first shoots of that industrial and commercial life which today is throbbing with a vigor not exceeded by any nation upon the face of the earth. End of excerpt from chapter 4 Names and Sentences of the First Fleeters by Charles White